Cross the Streams Podcast. Cross the Streams Podcast. Kip and Kane. Season 4 is here. New content in all our favorite segments like Listen Up, Hometown Heroes, Useless Full Information, Calling Men In, and many more. The Ion Brothers are back, everybody. Cross the Streams Podcast, a Hometown Heroes edition. A really cool, unique setup that I got to give our co-contributor, David Gunn, from Listen Up, full credit for bringing the idea to Kane and I. Um, And I was lucky enough to get all these guys on here at the same time. Group of people, I'm not sure the last time we all occupied the same physical space. I want to say my wedding when Jensen fell down a construction site hill. But it could have been later, you know, but all of us growing up, the folks we're bringing on tonight, I'm going to let them introduce themselves here in a minute, all from, grew up together in Billings, had a hell of a run as a basketball team. I mean, if Jeff could have made a couple more shots here and there and carried us, we would have won more, a couple more games. Uh, but I want to let you guys go around. Chad, your first podcast appearance ever, so you start us and we'll go around. All right. Uh, Chad DeHaan, uh Originally from Billings, I'm out in the Seattle area now. Been out here since the Willamette days, but now been in the Northwest for 20 years. Jeffrey? Uh, Jeff Jensen also, uh, Skydew grad with these guys. I'm out in D.C. now, and I've been out there, out here for eh, 12 years, I guess. Schwab? Mike Schwab from Billings as well. Grew up with these guys, played ball with these guys, and now reside in the Minneapolis area. Mr. Gunn. David Gunn, you know me. I am the uh, most frequent um, <laughs> guest on the Cross the Streams podcast. I think, what, nine, ten times? This would be your 11th, I think, now. This would be your 11th. 11th. Yeah, you're driving. Uh-huh. And Kane John, you're joining us now. Welcome, my friend. What's up, fellas? How we doing? Are we good? On, you got me? Yeah, yeah, we got you. We got you. I mean, nice. we got your nice. your professional uh-huh. coaching picture here. I see that. Yeah, you like that? <laughs> yeah. Good. Just, just showed yeah. up out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but this is really no different than we were all growing up. Hey, Kip's coming. We'll, he'll probably bring Kane. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> probably how it works. Choose to that. Uh, choose to that. Hey, but we want We're excited to have everybody on here. Um, and I, I especially uh, want to thank everybody for being willing to join this one because I sent, which I usually don't do, I sent you guys the topics and what we wanted to discuss in advance, and it's a heavy topic. Um, and Kane and I and David, from his idea, wanted to make sure that we addressed what's going on in the world, what's going on in the country during this. I want to give an initial warning to all the listeners. We're going to be talking about heavy shit. And we do have an explicit rating for a reason, um, not just because of the language, but we will be talking about stuff and, and giving our personal stances that are reflections of our personal beliefs and absolutely don't reflect necessarily those of our employers or people that work for us, but they are ours. And some of this could also be triggering for folks. And I've learned in my work uh, with character development and masculinity trainings to let people know in advance uh, what's coming. And on that same thing, I think the goal, fellas, that that I envisioned, and I think we all are kind of on the same page, but I want to state it out front for everybody, is we want to model with our discussion of this group that we have such a unique relationship, all of us having grown up together, but now being scattered across the country. We're not regionalized. We're not, we're all over the place. We've got different time zones represented. Uh, And I wanted to model how to approach listening, learning, and educating in discussions that everyone's claiming right now they need to do. 
uh, but a lot of times they're scared to do. So I figured if we couldn't do it with our group, who the hell can? Um, so I'm, I'm excited to dive into this. Um, and hopefully, you know, if a lifelong group of friends can, can demonstrate how to do topics on things that all of us aren't necessarily in agreement on, um, then other people can follow suit. And by no means do I think our podcast will change the world, but I, I don't want to be sitting around doing nothing either. Uh, so thank you all for coming and joining us. And Kane, David, anything to add on that before we take off? No, no I think you summed it up pretty, pretty damn well. Um, that's, that's why you're the host of the show and I just show up as a guest. Hey, Schefter, we got to have you here, Adam. We got to have you. <laughs> Schwab, I appreciate you uh, giving a shout out to my background there, man. I, you know, that's that's part of the uh, guest appearances that uh, I've got to have a cool background to make sure that everyone knows I'm, I'm a professional at this deal now. Yeah, this is not your first rodeo. I get it. <laughs> hey, hey. Nobody's going to see it, Kane. This is a yeah. podcast. <laughs> this, this is true. But you guys see it. That's, that's the key. Uh, hey, man. Hey, you guys can appreciate it. It's just a matter of time until they get the YouTube going. Right. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's the next step for the for the Cross the Streams podcast, man. Our YouTube channel is going to be up and running here in, in no well, time. Well, if Schwab would give us a little bit of his marketing savvy, Jensen tell us what to do with the money, we'd have a plan here. <laughs> You know, we could figure something out because I'm more likely not to spend anything we earn. So, um, hey, let's do this, too. Before we start, Chad, start again. Let's kind of go in that same order. Occupations right now. What, where are we all coming from? You know, we're all carrying our background where we grew up. But where are we coming from with our occupations? All right. I'm a general manager of a company called Thermetrics. Yeah, speaking, what does that do? Uh, they do some uh, some government work for testing. Uh, really, right now we're testing uh, masks and clothing products. Believe it or not, for resistance to chemicals and heat. And we and you I've had mentioned. Been, go ahead. Uh, I've only been there for about a year. A year now. I was. Uh, you probably don't even know I changed. I was at Apparel uh, Scientific, which was a definitely a government company, aviation side for twenty uh, eighteen years. And you had mentioned earlier, you might be the only one of us that's actually labeled essential right now. Yes? Yeah, I guess. I don't know about you guys. I mean, <laughs> I'm definitely not essential. <laughs> I mean, maybe well, in Bozeman, still, Bobcat football you're still is. working. I mean, I just have to, you know, I have to go in to do my job more or less, you know, because uh, you got to build stuff and make things go. Jeff? Yeah, uh, I'm an economist slash policy consultant in D.C., um, I basically tell people how bad the economy is doing, um, and that's not essential work these days because I don't think it's a genius to know that. But uh, you know, we we basically track like you know unemployment and things like that and what what's going to happen next. Uh, that's kind of our focus. Schwab. Yeah, marketing advertising firm uh, for a number of years now. So all things advertising, whatever you're seeing on TV, so on and so forth. Certainly not a numbers guy. I was the guy that cheated off of Chad. In <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Pretty much everybody did. <laughs> David. Uh, entrepreneur. I have my own uh, business, uh, Orange Theory Fitness franchise. Um, but yeah. Pretty much semi-retired. <laughs> uh, and obviously, Kane and I are coaches. Um, and let's let's start here. And I wanted to go because we're obviously going to talk about race 
evolutions of our all of our race knowledge background experiences so in the first segment i do want to operate I, I i found something that maybe we've been exposed to and depending on your involvement uh in some of these discussions prior you may or may not be aware but i thought it was really important to state that you know race uh is a social construct a system of classifying humans based on their skin color and it's one it's a system in which one race maintains supremacy over another via many methods, including institutionalized. And, and I wanted to get race and racism out there. So in the context, when we talk about it together, you know, the listeners know what we're referring to as we go through this. So let's go here. All of us, we're all of us born, David, we were born in Great Falls. We the rest of us all Billings babies? You're Bill, no? Iowa. Iowa, yeah, my fault. David, Iowa, Chad? Uh, Eastern, well, North Dakota. North Dakota, okay. Schwab, Jeffrey? St. Paul, Minnesota. Okay. Oh, that's right. I was Montana, but way up north, small town. It's okay. It's just you and me. We're the only Billings babies. What the fuck <laughs> am I talking about? The, the, the OGs. Yeah, St. Vincent's Hospital. Come on, guys. Jesus. Wow. <laughs> uh, so let me, let's go here, and whoever wants to take this first, your earliest memory of recognizing race in any version um in your immediate life you know in, in your world or that surrounding you what's your earliest concept um and i I'll, I'll go later but anybody that wants to start us off what's your earliest memory i'll, I'll start okay. i can kind of remember uh so i was born in des moines but we moved to shreveport louisiana when i was maybe four or five which obviously is you know you're, that's deep south right so that's early 80s. Um, and again, I, I, I started school pretty early. I think I started kindergarten when I was four. But I, I just have these these recollections of my parents always talking about race. And that was the reason we left Louisiana, right? Just because it was super, uh, the discrimination and, and, and the race relations down there was obviously pretty bad. Um, but... I just remember them always talking about it. But the first thing that I I super remember is when we lived in Great Falls, I lived in an apartment complex and across, kind of across the street, this kid lived there and he, he just became my friend, right? We we're the same age group and I was young. I think I was a second grader, maybe first or second grader. This kid named Brandon, and I still remember this dude, but his mom would never let me play inside their house, like ever. Right. So, and she would never let him come over to my apartment. So, and I remember my parents telling me the reason why I, you know, I, at that point I was just like, cool. Like we just playing outside, whatever. But I remember my parents talking to me about, you know, there's a reason why they won't let you go inside their house. Right. So that was kind of my earliest recollection. And, you know, you think back about it, like right now that's, that's pretty early, right? Like first mm -hmm. grade. Yeah. Like six years old. Right. <clears throat> five six years old so yeah that was kind of mine yeah i think for me it was a lot later i mean being you know in billings obviously it's pretty pretty monotone you know racial i mean we we kip and kane you know we went to Beartooth. i don't think we had any minorities and honestly i didn't see kip and kane as being a minority they were just i didn't get know, enough sun this is bullshit I mean, you know, mm. our parents hung out together and I just didn't see it. So I think for me, it was much later. It was probably middle school 
And in high school, obviously, you know, when, when David was around and he was my neighbor, I mean, we were literally throw a rock in each other's house. That was probably the, the biggest experience that you know, or hit me in the face, so to speak. Mine, Chad, I, you were pro- I think it was your birthday party because we were at your old house by Beartooth and we were yeah. bobbing for apples. I don't know what birthday party it was, but it had to be pretty young when, you know, we were still all there. And I remember Bob and I, I didn't get the damn apple or whatever. And Marty Highland, I probably should, I should probably edit his name out. A kid at your party was like, oh, that's okay, Kip. You're just a nigger. They don't do good at this. And I was like, oh, wow, I, really? I, yeah, I don't even know what that means. So I went home and I told Rhonda and oh, Rhonda wasn't happy. And she made some phone calls and I, you know, I, I knew my mom was loud. I didn't know what she was so riled up about. And then she had, you know, my dad got home. Kane, I don't. You were you were probably old enough, maybe remember this, but he mm-hmm. sat us down and explained what that meant. Um, you know what? How old were you? I it was one of Chad's early parties, so eight or nine, you know, somewhere in there. Gosh. And I had never heard the word. I don't think I'd heard the word before. And you know, like like we mentioned, you know, growing up in Montana, there's not a lot of color, and being a person of color like myself, but I'm not black. I got called a lot of wrong terms. Which led some people to create a term for me. Some of them are on this call, which was funny. <laughs> I, I want to stop the falsehoods right now. I did not create that term. I'm a, that was your friend Bo McFadden. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I needed to. I needed to. I couldn't be fully fledged person of color until I had an appropriately racially racialized term for me. Well, it's definitely appropriate that Bo gave that. To right. Me. So that's yeah, mine. Okay. Yeah. Shocking. Right. That's mine. <laughs> I mean, he's the only guy I knew that was paler than I was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Schwab, Jeff, or Kane? That's what I thought. I was like, wow, this group of people, and I might be the whitest, except for yeah, Jeff. No. <laughs> more white pigmentation than I do. <laughs> uh, no, I don't. I didn't. I was similar to you guys. I mean, grade school, David, you and I went to grade school bench together. Um, outside of that, it probably wasn't until junior high or high school. And I think a lot of that was just, you know, not even firsthand, but like seeing different groups treat different people different ways. Even where we come from, I think Native Americans in a lot of ways. I mean, everybody, mm-hmm. whether it's jokes or whatever people wanted to say. And uh, so I guess started going to the reservations, playing basketball, seeing a lot of that, uh, what people would say in the stands, things mm-hmm. of that nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's what I was I was going to go to. Like my my first memory of minorities was probably playing hoops on, on the res. Um, and it was because my dad coached up at Huntley Project, which um, had some Native American players, obviously. So uh, I would go up there for games and there would be, you know, so there was some interaction there. Um, I don't think I have had, I think the first black player I ever played against was probably like, I mean, other than David, it's like someone from senior high maybe had a, like, there just wasn't a lot of diversity of any kind, but if, you know, the diversity that there was was mostly Native American. Um, and I don't think I had an African American person in my orbit at all until David. I can't think of who it would have been. Kane, uh, I think uh, we were made very aware of it at a young age. Obviously, I, I think our parents exposed us to uh, the simple fact that we were different at a very young age, 
and whether or not, you know, and it wasn't a, by any means a negative or positive way or anything along those lines. It was just, they made it very clear, like, yeah, you guys are different than everyone else around you. And you need to take pride in that. And, and um, obviously I do remember Kip, that incident in particular, as far as any type of negatory um, response towards us. And that, I don't know when I seen like, what's that? <laughs> hey, Marty, um, what the, <laughs> and, and so they made it very clear to us at that at that particular point in that young age that those type of that type of shit is was not tolerated within our household. And I think we grew up in in an in with that um, sense of yeah, our dad looks a lot different than everybody else's dad, and in turn, we look a lot different than everybody else uh, during certain parts of, this, of the year, right? <laughs> um, but reality was we just, we were different and, and our parents made us very aware of that at a very young age. Um, and, and, and made it very clear to us that it was not okay for anybody to point that out in a negative way. And regardless if it, if it was us or if it was anyone else, whether it was, um, uh, any other minorities, uh, around at the time, it was almost like, Hey, I remember when AJ Jackson came to Beartooth um in third grade and it was him and i were like but yeah what's up man How, and it was just there was a sense of yeah we're we're, we're a little bit different um but in by no means was it a um you know we just felt that it was different because of again i think our parents did a really good job of making sure that that was very clear that none of these you do not perceive yourself uh, or allow others to perceive you in an, any type of negative way just because of there's these slight differences. Um, so I think because of that experience of, that Kip had I, over the course of my time, I was fortunate. I just freaking I was able to experience a lot of things via Kip, just kind of in his wake. And in turn, it put it opened me up to a lot of things at an earlier age than most of my peers. So on that, guys, and let's Schwab, you can feel this one first if you want. When was you? When was because David mentioned his experience and Kane and I's intertwined with our parents discussing it right, right in there. When was your first like? Oh, my mom star, my dad is talking to me about race and how we're going to deal with it. You know, in our family, how we approach it. I, I don't. Know. That's my. Uh, well, my dad was quite a bit older, so. When I was born, he was, I want to say, 53 already. So he comes from that old generation. Mm. And it was like, it was the craziest thing growing up. Like the words that he would use, that generation. And like at the same time, some of his, I remember, you know, especially when we lived in Minneapolis, or not Minneapolis, but St. Paul area, he was a truck driver. He'd have friends over who were black. But the words that he used to describe like black people was unbelievable. You know what I mean? It just doesn't mm -hmm. keep you on up. You're like, you have this mix, like, wait a minute, you're using these words or these terms, you know, and at the same time, like, mm -hmm. I have a couple friends, like, they're over here, you know, so it was yeah. very, um, that was kind of crazy, and then my mom, she never, she was younger, obviously, um, but I just remember, like, more than anything, probably having conversations about my, with my mom about the terminology and the words that my dad was using to describe people of color, mm. uh, which was, yeah. I, you know, I don't know how to describe it. Like it's, I felt yeah. like there was, there wasn't like a, I, by no means was there a hatred there. It was almost like a systemic, like that was just, the, I don't know if he grew up in that kind of 
mm-hmm. culture or what it was, you know? I don't know if anybody has any. Yeah, did you? Because my dad was substantially older than most. Um, he was probably 23 years older than most. In your convos with your mom, was she trying to explain to you, like, hey, dad said this and that's wrong? He's going to yeah, say it? Yeah, I mean, she would say, well, he doesn't, you know, he, you know, this is a really, really young age, but you're like, why did he call so and so this? Or, you mm-hmm. know, he's this. Jeff, Chad? Yeah. All right. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, my parents were pretty young, um, but I remember, you know, I remember Eldon sitting me down saying that that kind of crap wasn't, you know, allowed. However, it was a little bit of a mixed message. I remember, I mean, he, he's Montana through and through, especially at that time. And uh, he, he definitely had an issue with the Native Americans. And so it was mm. a little bit um, a double standard, mm. you know, for for African-Americans and you know, Asian and stuff. No, no, but you know, it was like, that was not tolerated, but he, you know, his, I'll say prejudice rubbed off sometimes on me where, you know, as soon as we played against, you know, on the reservation, like Jensen said, and they were bigger, better, stronger, probably older, who knows? I mean, and we were just, you know, we'd get pissed. I mean, I did. Mm-hmm. And you know, that kind of uh, hatred, I don't want to say hatred that's strong, but that would boil up. I mean, I could, you know, it was in taught. I mean, no doubt mm-hmm. about it. Jeffrey? Yeah. It's one of those questions where I almost feel like it's, it almost like shows the privilege, like that we didn't have, <laughs> I didn't have a discussion about race because, and that's like, that's the issue, right? Like that's a part of the issue. Like I, I don't recall having a, a, a talk or a talk at all about race. I'm sure that, you know, the, always the, the, the message, like the, the front was like, everybody's equal and you treat everyone well and it's golden rule stuff and like you know good christian values and stuff especially for my mom um you know that was always the what was said but then i think that you know there's like the subtle stuff this sort of it's that it's not like i think i i don't know if you're sending around or going to put on the on twitter whatever the pyramid yeah. that you guys have of yeah. like the overt covert like there's nothing overt in my life none of the like the the n-word and the bad stuff the cake like that stuff like i was not exposed to that directly um at all but like the covert stuff all the time mm-hmm. i mean and, and to the point where like you don't even realize that that's not okay because it's just sort of like how it is and i guess that's kind of the point here mm-hmm. that if, if you don't take a step back and think about like is that okay um and it, honestly, like sending, when I look at that pyramid and like look at some of the things and I'm like, yeah, I mean, I've done that. I've absolutely done that. And, and I can see if you take a step back, why it's not mm. appropriate, you know, like even the being paternalistic and like my, when I came into this conversation, I was really more interested in hearing what you guys had to say, honestly, mm-hmm. because like, I feel like I'm completely unqualified um, to provide much of an opinion other than just what my personal experience has been. I just, I, I, David, did you, I appreciate that, Jeff. David, did you feel the burden of having to be the first in so many instances for people? Like, Oh, David Gunn, that's my first black friend. You know, did you, did you feel that when at a young age? I don't know if I felt it as a burden. I definitely recognize that probably the majority of individuals that I associated with, like I was going to be their first black friend. Like that was just, 
I didn't feel it as a burden. Though. Mm-hmm. That was just kind of like, all right, it, it, it is what it was going to be. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, you know, because even though I wasn't born in Montana, like I grew up in Montana. So yeah. that was kind of all I knew anyways. Right. Yeah. Um, for the most part. So that, that's kind of what it is. You know, I think back to my, my parents were, I just, I can remember at a very early age and it kind of sticks and I see myself doing it with my, my kids too. It's like, we root for everything black. Like we just root, like we root, yeah. like it doesn't matter. Like that was kind of just what it was. And it kind of, you know, and, it, and now it is what it is now. I, I, with my, my kids, right. Whether mm-hmm. it's, if it's an award show, like it doesn't matter sports. Yeah. The quarterback, like, you know, and you kind of look at that, like, you know, well, that, that, that's kind of has some issues in itself. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think to Jeff, to your point, I think, I, I think there is more experiences that you can draw on because in Montana, like, and I'll be the first to admit it as well. Like you just get so ingrained with how racist Montana is against the native American culture. It, it's, it's horrible. It's yeah. awful. It permeates most yeah. people. What Chad said, my 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 dad in particular was the same way. My grandpa, uh, far worse. And to the point where, I mean, I don't know if you maybe I've told you guys this. Like after our senior year, uh, I went. There was a guy. His name was Felix McGowan. He's a Native American guy. With um, can't remember where he lived, but he knew my dad from like way back. And my dad was born on the Fort Peck Indian Reservation, so like up in uh, northeastern Montana. And he was putting together like a traveling team to go up to Poplar and play in a tournament with Poplar's on the reservation. Um, and so I said, sure. And it was mostly smaller school kids. So it was like, basically the, the two best players in that tournament were me and Pete Conway. Pete Conway was in that tournament. Um, and I went up there and like the first game I played, this the gym was packed and they fucking hated me. And I had no idea why. I mean, they were on me all game, and it was because they knew my name. They knew mm. my last name because of my dad and because of my grandpa. And it was, and I was like, I mean, it, it, I'd never experienced anything like that, mm-hmm. um, and I didn't really know how to react, and I probably didn't react very well. And that was, and you know, then you sort of see it from the other side. Like, you know, they're vic- they're victims of this, like, just racist underlying and and also just like straight up overt racism i mean mm-hmm. we've heard like i'm sure we've all heard the you know some of the terms that mm-hmm. used. i'm sure i said them i'm sure i said oh, it even sure as I a person of color right, i no. was caught up in that same you know when people talk about you know everyone has racist ideas and then people try to push back on it i was like no i i absolutely did growing up that was what that was the target of my like flipped racism was yeah, those guys that come in from the reservation beat the shit out of us in basketball. I'm going to learn to hate yep. them for all the reasons people say. Yep. Uh, do you? And this was I put this on there, but I, I want to take it just a little bit different. I talked about the firsts. Us growing up in Montana. Do you feel like your firsts experience? But maybe even I want to get into the culture adoption. Like I feel like Montana's behind. In terms of popular culture, but even in our time growing up, there was an adoption of Warren G and regulators, right? And a, and of black, predominantly black culture. I feel like that existed around us, but I don't know if that necessarily counts as a first 
in race relations and experiences? Thoughts or was that is that is that an issue? Is that part of the problem? Loving the culture and being completely ignorant I, to the people. I, mean, I, I, I can just I'll, I'll give you my perspective. I think, you know, with in Montana, like when we grew up, like BET didn't exist in Montana. Right. right. You couldn't so, menace to society didn't come to the theaters. In right. Boys no, of the Hood uh, barely came to the theaters. Right. So yeah. I think. You know, I, I still was exposed to it, obviously, because, you know, I, I, I'm black and I come from a black family that lives outside of Montana. So, you know, I, my cousins, my aunts, uncles, like I would get all of that culture to me and I would go visit, right? Go back to Iowa, Des Moines or whatever, and I would visit these different places. But I think from a Montana standpoint, like none of that shit existed. Mm-hmm. Like they I think people, again, this is my perspective. I don't think they had a clue in terms of what black culture was, except what was maybe, again, either told to them via parents, right? Mm-hmm. It was just passed down, right? Yeah. Or potentially whatever they saw on television shows. And we all know how that goes, right? right. With Especially back in the 80s when we were growing up with how they portrayed in the 80s and 90s with how, you know, you think about blacks and minorities were were portrayed in television shows and movies so i think again i i saw it as that that's how white people saw us right so i i just remember like i was my parents just made me always aware of like always be aware of how you're viewed right mm. and how you kind of carry yourself because this is the perception of how you're seen right regardless mm-hmm. right so that's why you know again i always try to to carry myself at a certain standard right mm-hmm. uh, but yeah so that I, I i don't know again if in montana which is it, it was so different i don't know if the majority of montanans even had a had a fucking clue like right. I, that was just my perception well i, I felt mean, like I, if you didn't go into hastings you were going to see black people you know what I mean? Like, yes. you didn't go into Hastings to see posters. You weren't going to see black people. Yeah, this was pre-internet. I mean, yeah. there was no access. We are pretty secluded. Like, I think the only, uh, you know, we didn't even have cable in my house. The only thing we had, you know, it was it was music. And we've mm-hmm. talked a lot about this. Like, yeah. I think that, good or bad, like, that was the only, like, view I think we had of, sure. uh, you know, black people. And, like, it was a whole, like, starting even when we what like, I think mainstream, whatever you want to call it, like mainstream, but like Dre, Snoop, all that stuff came out when we were like yeah, junior high or something yeah. like that. Or um, but I felt like, yeah, like other than that, there was no, like, we were totally secluded. Like, it's crazy to yeah. think that back then being so cut off from the world and being cut off from culture just because of the, the things that exist today from internet and TV and uh, just mass media, we didn't have any of that. Chad, Jeff, did you have family in bigger cities? that you could glean stuff from or was the family you know your families were in the smaller areas as well no my families were all smaller much smaller which actually made it worse and i think like schwab said montana's in a bubble i mean even today you know maybe a little more uh open now just because of the internet and whatnot but you know like gun said the only thing we saw was through music or some tv and that was a very you know one-sided you know uh visual of what maybe you know racial minority life black life was like i mean it wasn't accurate at all 
Um, but that's all we saw. Mm. You know, so that's and that was Montana for you. Did you guys yeah. take trips like family? Like, I mean, but this might be similar to David. Like we got we had family in L.A. So we were going to L.A. every summer and maybe being exposed more um, because of our family. But did you, were these the trips not even if you did, it wasn't like you were going to see diversity, even though you were in a city. Yeah, we we're going to national parks, you know, it's yeah. like you're, going, you're going to see the redwoods in California, not to necessarily drive in L.A. You know, yeah. Get some of that. Yeah. Even going you know, to like. Go ahead. Well, I'll just think you're going to Seattle, Minneapolis, like, you you know, whatever. You're going to the Mall of America. You're going to the Twins game. You're going to the Space Needle. You're not going to like real diverse cultural neighborhoods or. You know. Gotcha. But we ain't going to that shit. <laughs> <laughs> The I I I think uh, let's uh, let's take our first break there, uh, and we come back. I do want to get into the overt and covert uh, pyramid that I shared with you guys, and, and Jeff, you kind of brought up already. Uh, but we'll be right back. Cross the streams first break. Cross the stream podcast and its creators, Kip and Kanayon, stand for anti-racism and for being disruptive to bigotry in all its forms. Before, now, and forever. We implore our listeners to listen to learn, learn to care, and care enough to act. All right, we're back. Cross the streams, hometown heroes. Um, let's go here, fellas, with part two. Um, drawing off kind of what we laid out as our background growing up in Montana. Before I jump into the overt and covert, was there a moment in college where you were like, God damn, my background is pretty shallow is probably the wrong word. I've got a limited experience in this shit unless it was like, oh, I, I know Kip and I know David. Like when was there like an aha moment in where, cause Chad, I mean, you and I both went to Salem, Oregon, yeah. which in and of itself isn't fucking Los Angeles, but is more diverse <laughs> yeah. than Billings. Uh, yeah. Your, your Juco was, team, your Juco team was yeah, more diverse. Day, day one for me in Juco. Cause my team was half, half black. And, you know, to be honest, I, I mean, I noticed, but it wasn't a big deal. I mean, I don't mm. chalk it up to hanging with David. I don't even know. Like, <laughs> but now the backgrounds of their their upbringing, yeah, that was kind of a wake up call because we had people from inner city Portland and California, and I mean, you know, but yet we had others that were, you know, kind of had a, a nice upbringing. But it was very, very big wake up call for me. Um, but not in a like not in a rough way like they we were we were one team very accepting and it wasn't like they were like who's this white kid from montana kind of thing mm -hmm. i i want to i want to so, come back to that because i it'll, in our segment three talking about sports and the power of sports but yeah. uh, in yours because i your juco experience in salem and i'm just across town in a d3 i was still the the point five on the team which is interesting oh, yeah my college first year college team was less diverse than our team, which wasn't well, exactly, exactly diverse. Right. I remember when I came to Willamette, I felt like in some ways, especially under Gordy a little bit, I stepped backwards. Mm -hmm. I mean, you and Marcus were right. really from I can remember the only two minorities, and right, um, you know, for me, I really I didn't at the time I didn't know if I, I cared either way. It was like I just wanted to be on a team that could win, and I didn't care if you were white, black, or brown or whatever. I really mm -hmm. didn't care. Now I've kind of gotten to realize that that dynamic that can be provided from, you know, that minority perspective is, is valuable. But, you know, I think in college, I was just like, I don't care who you are and what your background is. If you can ball, I, I want to play with you kind of thing. Um, Jeff Schwab, when was your moment? Like, man, Montana's pretty white. 
I think when I started, I, like, as white as McAllister is, like, Carlton was even whiter. I'm not sure there's a whiter conference in the country. <laughs> I, was, I couldn't wait to see what Jensen Honest to God, this shit was like, I mean, we've all seen Hoosiers. We're, this was, was like every game. <laughs> whiter than Hoosiers. Like, I couldn't wait till Jensen. I was gonna, like, what are you going to say? Because Concordia is the same way. Yeah. yeah. I think they even went to school in Wapaton, and at least the football team was, I don't know, I mean, what, like 90% diverse, black, you know. Yeah, I mean, even for me, though, it was, it wasn't like a shock, but it was kind of when I, when I got to my JUCO, right, and my JUCO's in North Dakota, Wapaton, North Dakota, and it was nothing but, you know, inner city black kids, for the most part. And then David would come up with his crew and come visit me up at Concordia, and we go out to the <laughs> parties you've ever seen in your life. I don't know. Like, was like, but we had, like, it was just. Oh, homies. Who's that? <laughs> but I'll tell you, though, when I first got there, there was, there was, there was still kind of this, all right, there's these, the white kids on the team were all, the white kids on the team weren't there really for football. They were kind of the walk-ons on the team, and they were from, like, the small towns in North Dakota. It was an agricultural JUCO, so they were just there to be there. So I definitely didn't fit in with any of them, right? And then the black kids on the team were kind of, once they saw and heard where I was from, they were like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> they, they, they couldn't comprehend, like, this, this, this black dude from Montana, right? So that was kind of initially weird. But then once practice started and we saw who could play and who couldn't play, Right then, it was just out the window, right? Uh, but yeah, it was it was just it was just it wasn't a weird dynamic, but it was very different than my experience growing up in Montana. Like mm-hmm. I, I played with nothing but black, like African Americans and, and, and blacks, and then you know it was interesting. We, we connected with Schwab. I was forty five minutes away, so literally almost every other weekend, I'd bring my crew. We'd drive up to Schwab's and. We'd go kick it and go to his white parties at Concordia. <laughs> Fargo. And Kane, I want to let you talk too about, you know, your first year at Montana State. But I remember at Willamette, like I was che- – there was only there was one black player in the league in me my whole freshman year in the Northwest Conference. And when we played him, I wanted him to kill. I wanted him to kick our ass. I was excited about it. Um, go ahead, Kane. For you, like Montana kid going in state – but obviously, Montana State is a, is a different setup than Skyview High School. Yes, yes. And, and that was, uh, for me, you would think, yeah, I, I don't know. I kind of anticipated it, obviously, uh, going knowing what I was walking into from recruiting trips and, and things of that nature. So I had an idea that I was going to walk into a more diverse situation, and I, I looked forward to it, and it, it was exactly that. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have a, a – full-blown American Samoan roommate, offensive lineman, Mateo Toilolo, who was straight from the island for the most part, had been uh, with the high school in, in L.A., and English was really his second language. And so that was an experience in itself, where here I am, the uh, half Samoan from Billings, Montana, rooming with uh, offensive lineman Samoan from the island of Samoa, uh, literally. And, and so it, it, that was, for me, awesome in a lot of different ways uh, and just understanding where how he saw the world and, and just his experiences uh, coming from LA to Montana and, and and so I was fortunate to be to where a lot of those guys uh, whether it was 
black, Samoan, um, just guys look to me as a, a guy that could bridge the gap essentially from those that were from out of state, inner city, wherever, and the kids that were from Belgrade, Montana, Fort Benton, Montana, Baker, Montana. And there was a lot of, it was, it was hard at times because I would want to hang out with, uh, you know, Turney in, in, in the Billings crew. Right. And then, but at the same time, I wanted to go hang out with this guy and this crew over here. And so there was a lot of, of just for me trying to adjust with, okay, um, how do I, how do I go about bridging this gap? And uh, so that was, it was, it was fun, man. It was, it was a, a learning experience through and through and, and, yeah, to say it was easy all, the whole time was, would not be ideal either. It would, um, you know, there were definitely moments where, uh, as I'm sure all of you experienced within locker rooms, uh, and we'll get into that the sports side of things. We start talking about the the sports and, and locker rooms and all that, man. And as as diverse as locker rooms are, that doesn't necessarily mean that there isn't toxicity and there isn't still festering hate and. Uh, ignorance within the locker rooms that that have to be somehow um that that come to light at times and, and it's and it, the ignorance can show itself really quickly and um and if you're not a genuine dude it, it shows you're called out really quick or should be called out very quickly on that you know talking about the ugliness and, and we, some of the the more overt versions of racism and white supremacy you see so we're we got lynchings hate crimes swastikas the n-word slur different slurs burning crosses do you guys remember when was the first time you experienced something overt and obviously it wouldn't be towards you but you saw it like obviously my first racial memory is that but you know our dad got called nigger all the time as the coach at skyview once again the wrong slur for the wrong person our dad's very dark and so that happened on a regular. I can remember the parents. I can go down a list of my most hated people ever. And Kane's probably got the same dartboard of parents of players he coached whose moms and dads said that word. And Rhonda fought him in the stands. And we yelled at him in the stands. But I, I remember overt in my face. Um, you know, David, you can speak to this first, too. Obviously, you talked about it with your, uh, you know, growing up and with the Great Falls part. But other guys, when's the first time you saw overt? I think the over, overt part was for me when I first got to Billings. There was a, a neighbor kid, and I didn't really know him. And um, he was kind of, you know, a little bit different. Like, but I, I, I can distinctly remember. And, and Schwab, you'll probably re you remember Justin Debout? Oh yeah. So Justin Nabu was my boy, right? That was my guy. And uh, the kid that lived across the street from me was just this odd white kid, and he was just kind of a loner and just one of those kids now that you would see that shoot up schools and shit, right? Like, that that was this kid. and But he was bigger than us. Like, he was in my grade, but he was – or maybe he was a year younger, but he was just big as fuck, right? And I can just recall him just one day just – terrorizing me nigger this nigger that and blah 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 blah. you know and i was small as fuck but i was like i was fighting like we was just gonna fight but that's like my earliest remembrance of what it was just overt directly at me like it was just 
Like mm. for uh, like unprovoked, it was what it was. Yeah. And then my, my other time was just in little guy football in Billings. Uh, we we're playing the Falcons. I, I can remember it like to this day, and I was kicking their ass. And uh, you know, back then it, in the little guy football, they used to let you put whatever the fuck you wanted on the back of your jersey, right? Yeah. I remember his name, Bad Chad. Oh. <laughs> Because I was I was beating the ass and uh, he called me nigger and I went off like went off right so I got kicked out of the game right because I was like jumped on this kid and I remember like they ended up beating us or some shit right and I remember sides Jason like his team was really good with the Vikings and uh, they played that team in the. Uh, what was it called? The Super, not the, Super the Rocky Bowl. The Rocky Bowl. Oh, the Rocky Bowl. For the championship, right? Because we lost him in the playoffs or whatever. And they ended up, like, sides ended up hitting this kid and, like, I don't know, broke his leg or some shit like that and put him out of the game. But those are, like, the two instances that I recall, like, my first, like, directly at me overt racing thing. And this was, like, you know, when I first moved here that first year that I was in Billings. Other guys, you remember witnessing something, or was it later? Was it later? Because I mean, it, it, that's that's part of the discussion too. Like, I didn't even see this shit until I went to a yeah, more. I, for 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 me with uh, for black, it, I, it was in college when mm. I first saw it. I mean, maybe I just flat out missed it. You know, being around you and David. Because I mean, to be honest, we didn't like really openly talk about it very much. I mean. David and I would ride to practice every day. I don't think we ever really got mm. into any deep discussions. Maybe, you know, you and uh, Kip, you and David talked about it a lot, but it wasn't something, you know, you never talked to me. But anyway, so I never, I don't recall anything, you know, against African-Americans and, and Billings off the top of my head. It was it was in college, you know, Salem, Chemeketa. Mm. Was it on the court, Chad, or in the community? Uh, it was more in the community. Okay. And maybe you... Kane or, or Kip just, just being a minority can speak this too. I think that's that's something like growing up, like Jason Sides is like my best friend, like white dude, but like I never really communicated this stuff with him either. But like me and Kip would have discussions around this shit all, all, all the time. I don't know. I think there's yeah. just the comfort in knowing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It, it's sure. Uh, 100%, man. Where I, I know for a fact that uh, Jackson and I, going back to AJ Jackson, who was in my grade, him and I would have these conversations all the time, but nobody else outside of that. And then right. obviously Kip, David and I, when we sit and watch freaking higher learning in the basement of, of our house, um, would, and those would bring up those conversations and discussions, but, and, uh, we were constantly having these conversations in our household. And again, I, we go back to that was always, as Kip said, the overt racism that we saw, uh, within our family always somehow was related to sports somehow related most most of the time to either my dad uh who my dad was coaching uh who they perceived he was favoring whatever um i was never i never felt like i i saw a little bit of it but never there was nothing in my face um you know i know kip you got called the the pn word a couple different times and and just some random weird names there was a couple times over the course of in college actually uh where just randomly and i think this is is a, there were kid, there's there's a default mechanism when when people either whether they're drunk 
or they're just they start to get pissed off and the true anger and the true the true them comes out the true chad the bad chad comes out is <laughs> fucking is bad chad moments. that motherfucker wherever he is and, and there's been a, a couple different times where that's something has escalated between other people in a group that i'm with and then all of a sudden i get dropped they drop an n-bomb on me out of nowhere and it's like well, what the what the fuck was that chad and so there's just this <laughs> this uh, I think it's a default where you don't know what's there. It's like you know, Schwab was talking about alluding to it with his dad, where else it just there's something somehow in there that is deep down and dark, and every once in a while comes out. So I remember a ver- I think I've actively probably with you three guys, you know, as friends and teammates. I think a part of me wanted to avoid it because I didn't want to find a reason to not like you. Like, I didn't want to bring it up, maybe, because it would be like, well, fuck, Schwab's my guy. If I bring this up, what if Schwab says some stupid shit, you know? And then I'm stuck with Ortega by myself. And that sucks. You know? But, no, I think think part of that existed in me. But I, I, for sure, David and I would talk about this a lot, you know, in a lot of ways. But, anyway, Schwab, Jeffrey, do you remember seeing? Yeah, I would say, I think that's that's very smart and i think it's right um but on our side it's sort of it's not the same thing but like that's an awkward conversation i don't recall ever having that conversation with you or david right um and i don't think that either one of us was looking to seek out that conversation um because we knew it was going to be awkward even if like no one said anything wrong and even if we were like allies and everything was like totally cool like it's still going to be awkward to have that conversation i don't like at 16, 14, whatever. Like I had no idea how to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're sitting here and I'm 41 years old and I can't remember the first time that my parents talked to me about race and like suddenly, and how am I going to be prepared to enter a discussion mm. with a peer about that? Like, yeah. I, I don't even know what I would say. Well, I think part of it too, though, Jensen is, you know, the majority, you know, us on this, on this on this call right now we were kind of brought together through basketball playing together growing up playing basketball and you know we had a kind of a tight-knit group that stayed together for so long like really it just never became an it it was never an issue within our group like like i which is i think i don't know if a lot of individuals like minorities that grew up in montana could say that within a, a sports and again we can get to this in the sports topic but i don't recall a single incident ever coming up where it was an issue throughout our basketball team so that's probably why you're having a heart like jensen's like you know i don't know what the fuck you guys are talking about like it was, yeah. there was never an issue. we never had an issue like it was just for us it was about like fuck we were just bitching at each other about Making plays, right? Right. Jeff, why don't you fucking guard somebody? More, I think that was the real underlying issue here. Schwab, do you remember? This is a good segue. We talked about parents, but do you remember teachers or coaches talking to you about this? No, I was going to say what was interesting about Just Comment was, and I'm in the same boat. Like, like the fact that we're this age and we never can recall a conversation that our parents had with us about race. On the flip side of that, you know, with the George Floyd situation, my daughters who are eight and six, you know, we were watching TV over the course of the last week and last Saturday, like we had a legitimate conversation about what was going on um, at the age of eight and six. And they're like, you know, they're asking really intelligent questions and like, 
why did this, why that, I don't get it. Um, but that, I mean, if any, I mean, if any good comes out of this, I mean, the fact that people can have those conversations today with their kids, I feel like we were, I was going to say this earlier. Um, I feel like we grew up in, I call it the awkward generation, right? So like, all the and Kip, you and I have talked about this. Like all generations before of us have kind of lived in the bubble. They didn't have a lot of access to the world. You grew up in the community you grew up in. Um, we're the first generation that kind of had an analog childhood, but a digital adulthood. So from the time we talked about this earlier, right? From grade school, junior high, we were pretty secluded. But by the time we were graduating college, you know, with internet, cell phone, you had a little bit more access to the world. And I think we're the first ones that like see the change and see like, oh, there's more to this world than just these people in Billings, Montana or wherever you grew up in. Mm -hmm. The world is a lot bigger than that. But we never, because we were never, uh, like we never had those conversations, we're the group that didn't, we don't really know what to say. Mm -hmm. Like we recognize it. Uh, I don't know if you guys, especially being white, like Mm -hmm. you think this in your head, but you don't know how to come to, you don't know what to say and what you can't say or what you should say look stupid or not sound stupid um were your parents were your guys's parents driving you to leave montana because ours were i mean kane you got a full ride so that was that's not the issue but my mom and dad were actively telling me you got to get out of here like when i was 12 you got to get out of here we didn't have any of that no 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 No, my mine wanted me to stay really mine Mine didn't want me to, to leave. Oh, okay. I, I wanted to leave, but not, not for that. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, I, I, I didn't want to leave, but it had nothing to do with, yeah. There was more yeah, about I, it. I agree. I wasn't, I wasn't going out to the Northwest or anywhere outside Montana to try and broaden my horizons necessarily. Mm-hmm. It was just to try and do something different, I guess, yeah. for me. And it was, it was to get away from my family. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 like, for me, there was, it, it wasn't even a question, like, I wanted another sense of being around individuals that looked like me. Like I was, it, there was no question that I was going to leave the state. It, it was, I was out of here. Yep. In hell or high water. And uh, that, that, you know, I, I think that growing up again and growing up in Billings was, was great. Like I had a great childhood, but I think, Again, being a, a minority in Billings, you, you miss like there's this longing, like oh, I want to be with individuals that look like me, that have the same similar thoughts as me, like you know my parents and kind of how they raised me, like the shit. My parents probably told me like my friends, like their parents probably told them some different type shit. Like it's just it's <laughs> so it's just culturally different, right? And you long to be with individuals that kind of are similar right it's yeah. like oh I, I need to be with my long lost pack right and kind of see what that's like yeah so uh yeah i was i i was i couldn't wait to get the fuck out of there like can you i mean you kind of spoke to this with mateo but i think we had that same feeling like there's no samoans in the rocky mountains <laughs> um where, where are all the samoans uh <laughs> yeah yeah they freeze, no, they, they freeze their ass <laughs> off Samoans in the snow. What the hell are you doing? I mean, the only Samoans we knew were, were our family, obviously, yeah. and then uh, our extended family in in, um, in surrounding areas, and and then every once in a while, Rocky Mountain College had some football players that that dad would embrace, and and you know David Porter and yeah. that crew of guys that uh, we had over for barbecues, and and dad kind of adopted to a certain extent. And, uh, but no, yeah, that, I think that was a big part of 
similar to what David was saying for, for you and I, Kip, as far as just that, uh, that appeal to just figuring out, uh, yeah, I want to go be around uh, more individuals that are, are a little bit more uh, diverse and, and have been raised in, in a similar fashion and, and nothing against how anybody else was raised, but just, just the different talks that we had going up and the different perspectives that we were shown in finding more people with that, those similar type of backgrounds to where when you are riding in the cars, like you're talking about where you have a 15, 20 minute drive conversations seem to be a little bit, or you would think would be just a little bit easier because there's some similarities or some things in the world that you could talk about. Like, Oh yeah, shit. How about this, this, this. And so, yeah, I think that was, uh, definitely an appeal for me to to try and get out of uh, Miami. I, I've always talked about how Miami missed the boat on me, um, <laughs> and I'm still pissed at them about that. But um, fortunately, Montana State gave me that opportunity. And, um, I, I knew that even though Bozeman's still in Montana, that, that the uh, there would be within that locker room an, an opportunity to um, be around a, a more diverse group. Who's the first mentor in your life? that you remember discussing or addressing this. So take parents out of it. I don't want to put them in that category. Teach, teacher, professor, coach, boss that you could have conversations with about or discuss. Cause I don't think we had that in high school. We didn't have coaches talking race relations. We had, so, so I'm going to, I'll, I'll bring this up. Like in, I was talking to a friend the other day about this, who, you know, with everything that's going on in, in terms of, the, the protests and, and, and George Floyd and whatnot. So I had a, a, a friend on Facebook had a black friend and he was listing like, you know, encounters he's had racial encounters that have really significantly impacted his life. And he listed three and he was like, I want this to be an ongoing thing. I want all of my friends to list their top three things that really impacted them from a racial standpoint that they've kind of stuck with throughout the years. Right. So, and it just brings me back to the point. And you, you brought up a coach like in high school and it was kind of funny back in the day, but it was like, it had a lasting impact. It's, and you think about it now, it's even more so right. Coach St. John, the football coach at Skyview was one of the ra- most racist fucking pricks there was, hmm. you know, every day at practice, it was about gun, what are you going to tag today? Like with tagging and gangs and, and he's the police chief of Billings. Right. So, you know, you think about it. And I, I remember me and Kippy used to talk about this all the fucking time. Like yeah. I'd be like this racist motherfucker, but it was just kind of like, it was what it was. Right. Yeah. But it was something that sticks with you. So to your point of like mentors, like through high, like, coaches and teachers like i didn't have any of that shit like i did, i looked at everybody as a fucking enemy just to mm-hmm. tell you the truth i just like yeah. had no trust in anybody from that standpoint i like, I, didn't like that. I remember two things david one well for everybody coach carl our high school coach basketball coach do you remember when he had the glory poster in his classroom the movie yeah. glory and right. i was offended like man how the do you have this? You don't know nothing about no glory, Coach Carl. Now, I, I had no idea, but similar to you, David, I just assumed all the teachers, aside from the ones that mom and dad would have at the house, were on the not woke list. Like, what the fuck are you doing with glory up there, man? You don't know nothing about no glory. 
Uh, so crazy how just one, and again, like, it was all fun and jokes, right? Or at least I think St. John's thought it was right. fun and jokes, right? But, like, that had such an impact as far as how I, first and foremost, my started my relationship with the police, right? Like, it's just as far as how I saw them. Mm-hmm. But then also with just white authority figures, like, and I, I kid you not, like, I've had trouble with white authority figures my whole entire professional career, mm. like, just flat out. That's what drove me first and foremost to, like, I can't I can't work for somebody else again. That's what drove me to entrepreneurship, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just interesting, like, how it all started way back when, right? Yeah. So do you guys remember discussions? Or do you remember over actions from coaches, bosses, teachers, professors? No, no. I mean, I'm looking at Chad and Jeff. Like this is the I, this. It just it blows my mind how different. Hmm. Like literally, I felt like we're we're like in a bubble. Like I never had. I mean, you want to talk about overt, you know, uh, experiences. To me, it goes back to the, our incident and in, you know David's incident in Minneapolis. The, the kid, you, Dave, and I were going out. Ended up at the pizza joint afterwards, and uh, that like that changed my whole. I mean, I just that blew my mind. Like I had never. I, listening you guys have experiences growing up um that tiptoe around stuff like that mm-hmm. but when date we are and for the rest of everybody and the listeners you know we we were out minneapolis uh ended up at a pizza place afterwards and police were in there trying you know they were like making everybody follow these strict rules of where they could stand and what they could do and of the three of us, I was by far the one mouthing off. Oh, for me. sure. It was your mouth. I was the fucking peacemaker. Yes. Yeah, like, I was like, where are we, in Alabama? Like, we in the South? I'm the one just running my mouth the whole time. David never said a damn word the whole time. And I think a lot of it probably, you know, like, I just, you know, like, what, I was just, the idea that something could happen was not even, like, remotely going through my mind. And literally, we, you know, like, I don't know if you guys recall this the same way, but, like, we finished the meal. I had no clue anything was going to pop off. We go outside, and those cops, they went after David like nobody's business. Um, nothing. Like, one guy tried to mace me, who was too short, didn't even reach me. And, like, I'm the one mouthing off the entire time, and David gets thrown into the cop car. And that was just, I mean, to this, it was, it, it just like. It was worse than that. Like, it was. You got the shit beat out of him. Yeah. Like, it was unbelievable. Like, they put me in the fucking yard. Like, I'm talking to me. I'm talking punches to the head. Slammed like, to the ground. Yeah. Thrown to the ground. Like, hospital, hospital, like, the whole night. I mean, that's just everything, like, that moment in history, like, everything that I thought was. Oh, you know, you grow up, you're like, oh, the cops are good. Like, these people do right. These are the ones that protect you, you know, like, so on and so forth. Like, that was the moment in my life where everything just switched, and you're like, wow, I got, you know, holy shit. Yes, think for yourself. I don't trust anybody. And I, until I would have saw that firsthand or seeing that experience, like, I would have been naive to, you know, you hear things and people say, yeah, but they're, there's something else to that, or you don't know the whole story and all that. It's like, no, bullshit, man. I, I, I literally was right there. The enti- I saw the entire thing. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't know that story. Um, that really pisses me off, and I'm, I'm sorry to hear it. I mean, it's, it's sort of. I go back to like when I first came on this call, and I'm like, I feel shitty and awkward because I know that my answer to these questions like is just demonstrating the privilege. 
um, because I, fact is, I've, I've never had a role model. I can't think of the answer to that question because it's like not even really relevant uh, in my life. And that's like, that's the problem. That's why it's fucked. Um, to, to Schwab's point about like seeing it and it changes, like I actually think that as bad, as much as I hate social media and like, we I know your Facebook before. stance. I know your Facebook stance. Yeah. <laughs> but like the one positive thing about it is that Schwab's experience of seeing it firsthand and like, you know, it's easy to like, ah, yeah, they didn't start the camera at the right time or whatever. But when you see it firsthand and you see the like true racism and the systemic, like then it, it can flip the switch. And I think that because of the ubiquitousness of, of, you know, cell phone videos and stuff, like you can, you can kind of slough off, you know, this one and that one. And like, oh, maybe they didn't turn the camera on. But when there's fucking 500 of them and it's just an avalanche in social media of showing like, incident after incident after incident of of cops just losing their shit over nothing um and targeting minorities like at some point you either have to just be blind to it um or you have to like change and i think that there's enough people changing right now that that's why you know it's not like this shit hasn't been going on for decades we knew all this we had Eric Garner on tape. We had like we had all this shit on tape, but like for whatever reason, we've hit this we've hit this turning point. And part of it's because of Trump, and part of it is you know there's a lot of things that are at play here. But like you just can't deny it anymore. I mean, you can shut your eyes um, and ignore it, but I don't. I can't see how you can deny it at this point. And so then it becomes about like okay, what do we need to do about it? Um, do you guys so think it was a thing about no no? This. I social media do you think it was a failure then of some of your mentors to prep you for this or obviously in david's to actually commit the acts um and i'm not by david i mean fuck schwab we played for him same thing we saw it you know yeah. uh you know the anti-bandana stance that they had that's not the same as what happened to david but you, you couldn't have much swag because that was associated with black um but do, do you think your mentors failed you in that I, to some extent, and I'm going to just say one thing, and I don't want to hear what other people say, but like Mike, Mike brought this up earlier about talking to a six-year-old and his eight-year-old, and like I think that is a, a point of failure in our generation's upbringing, at least in Montana, where like I didn't have that talk. I don't remember having that talk. I, I think, you know, and I'm trying to do a better job with my kid who's seven. And I talked to my wife about this last night as I was thinking about these conversations, and it's like kids like. They make clean lines. Like that's how they view the world. Cowboys and Indians, black and white, good. Like it's it's how it's what they watch on TV. It's the cartoons. It's the stories. Like it's always cut and draw. They draw these lines because it's a way for them to organize the world. Because it's otherwise it doesn't make sense. And so if you don't talk to them about these things, they're going to draw the lines themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, my son, um, his main. You know, we live in. DC, like we're, DC is a very, you know, it's it's a very diverse city, but like we live in an area that is not. Um, I work with, you know, I got 25 colleagues and we have some diversity, but we don't have any African Americans on our, in our, in our company, which we're trying to obviously, you know, we have an issue too, we're working on it. But like my son's two main interactions with, with dark skinned people were our nanny who's from Haiti and she's like family to us, but you know, we still pay her. Mm -hmm. um and now she, you know this was when he was younger he's old enough now but like and she you know love her to pieces but it's 
that's so in his mind it's like different and then my wife's car got broken into a couple years ago and they took her phone and of course it happened to be you know at a high school and it was a couple of african kids that they ended up catching it's like fuck like i really wish that that hadn't been the way it was because those are his two you know personal interactions and so i it's not that he's said anything or he's made but like i want to make very sure that he understands that that's not representative and that those obvious lines of, of separating people like that's not okay mm-hmm. and i feel like if we don't have those conversations which are awkward and you can't talk to a seven-year-old like they're 17 i mean you have to but you also can't dumb it down you know what i mean like mm-hmm. so i don't oh. totally mm-hmm. know how to make that conversation but i think it has to be happy. Mm-hmm. i totally agree with you and i don't you don't know what to say like we literally i was late for this call because we literally went down to the george floyd memorial the place where he was murdered with the kids mm. I'm so glad you did that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was surreal. It was so surreal. Like, uh, and that's hopefully knock on wood. That's a, that's a point in history where things change hopefully. But like, I don't know. I, I agree with you, Jeff. Like we just are maybe Chad, I don't know if you'd agree or not, but like, we just never had these conversations as, no. uh, as white kids growing up. Nobody well, talked. About this. Let me yeah. ask you this. I, and I think that that's a great point. And, and, I would ask, how do you, again, I don't know how you plan on doing or if you if you do even plan on doing it with, like, say, Jeff, like you said, you, you, where you live, you're just not in a very diverse area, right, where your, your kids aren't going to be exposed to minorities, right? And if they are, it's it's just not the same. Right. It's yeah. not the same, right? They're, they're just not, it's not going to be a daily occurrence, right? So how do you what do you do on your end because there's one thing to tell them right yeah but it's another thing to where they're actively like for you guys like in chat like your your experience was was me but or kid but when you got to college your your juco was a whole different experience right you're like it didn't it didn't even really maybe hit you but i think with kids it's a little different especially now right because it's so visible with social media and everything that's going on like and again if you're not if they're not exposed to it, experience is kind of the best, the best teacher, right? When you're when you have somebody that you're you're exposed to on a regular basis, a different culture, mm-hmm. right? And I even do it with my kids. Like, you know, I live in Atlanta, but I live in a suburb of Atlanta, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's diverse, but it's still predominantly white. The suburb I live in, I mean, it's it's white, it's Asian, it's Korean, there's blacks, but you know, and I still find myself like drawing my kids to like all right we want to play with this little black girl like I, you know just yeah. to give you know so that you're around and you're comfortable with individuals that look like you right and uh even more mm. but again it, it's a little bit different because we have you know it's obviously very diverse everywhere so i'm just kind of thinking from a a ca- caucasian perspective like what do you do with this point if they're not in your area and how do you kind of, what do you do there? Yeah, Chad, have you had those conversations with Tiffany? I, I mean, well, yeah, I think it's much easier though, being, you know, out here in a, in a more diverse area than Montana. I mean, there's part of me that gets angry that we didn't have any good mentors. I don't even know if we had a, a minority teacher at Skyview. I mean, I was going to think my first black teacher and I, I cannot. Hey, I know y'all, y'all ain't forgetting Cass I know y'all ain't forgetting Coach I <laughs> He didn't teach us at Skyview, though. I mean, besides PE, 
I mean, we'll be kind of golf. You know, like, like, I don't know. I, I just felt like we didn't have any mentorship, you know, there and teaching mm-hmm. us. At the same time, I don't know if I necessarily like it does piss me off that they didn't do a better job, but I don't necessarily always hold it against them. Mm. Like, I don't know if they knew any different. It, mm-hmm. it was definitely for me coming out to the Juco and my, our coach like kind of threw us to the fire and he made it uh, us against everybody else. Like, Hey, you know, we're a mix of different uh, backgrounds and some people are going to be hating on your teammates and, you know, we're going to, it's us against them and it's, you know, we're going to kick their ass. And, and that's, that's kind of how he tried. And I don't know, he kind of had white privilege. Obviously, I did too. So it was—it's kind of a weird dynamic. I mean, you, you remember Coach A, mm-hmm. uh, Kip a little bit. I mean, he's a good guy, but he's—you know—he's—he's he's white privilege too. But he did try to ingrain us in. Okay, you know, here's here's this mix, and you know, it's it's our team against everybody, and that was really the first mentorship, and that's kind of weak. I mean, if you think about it, it was pretty weak. Uh, on the parenting question. I, I'm very – Kane and I are, are very lucky that our mother was the driving force she was because it was – I have – I feel more confident educating my kids because of the reps my mom put us through. Like there was never a non-teachable moment on any movie, any sh- – yep. like we didn't – we watched the Cosby show, man. Like we were – he turned into a different sick bastard. World. Different yeah, world. Like we were yeah. – my mom went out of her way – Sometimes I think she forgets she's white. Um, it, it, it's funny because when David was talking about how he would, in growing up, and his parents and, and him would, they, his family would were rooting black all the time. Oh, right? that was up. We were the same way in our household. Like that's we. That was what our default was. Yeah, was we were always going to default to the minorities. We were always going to default default to diversity, uh, mm-hmm. one way, shape, or form. Whether it was music, movies, that was our upbringing when they shot when, when they shot denzel were. when they killed denzel and malcolm x can you remember when mom was cussing at the screen you yes. motherfuckers we're in the yes. square in the fucking movie I mean, theater i remember as, as a little kid mom driving us around trying to find any and all the movies that were supposed to be out but didn't ever come to billings and we would drive up to the billings theaters and she would curse out the ticket people like really well this show isn't malcolm x isn't coming to billings what the fuck is this all about and so we were very fortunate in that regard, and you know, in hindsight of, and we didn't know any better at the time. Right. We knew that, we knew obviously that it was different than it most of, because again, we weren't having these conversations with all of our other friends because they weren't experiencing the same things that we were. And uh, you know, my our dad being uh, the teacher and the coach that he was, the mentor that he was, uh, in bringing the J.P. Williams, the Larry Fosters, some of these other athletes from Skyview to into our home yeah, as often as, as possible. And again, so that, I think that that allowed us. See, that's the change though, right? Like, so I, if you were to ask those individuals and we did, right. When you guys had a podcast with JP and he mentioned your dad as a mentor, mm-hmm. yep. right? I think that's the difference. Like that just didn't happen. Right. Yeah. For, Yep. You know, when when we were growing up, because there wasn't outside of outside of cast, it wasn't another minority show. Right. Right. Well, so nobody lived it. Right. And right. To your point, Chad, I think I don't know if you can fault them. They just yeah. They didn't have a fucking clue, right? They they didn't know. David, now that you mentioned too about you know authority figures and what like, I can't, I ended up having a great relationship with my college coach after I was done playing for him. 
my entire career, high school, college, I didn't like any of my coaches. And subconsciously, I don't know if it was because they were all white. You know, I, I don't. I didn't have a minority coach until my associate head coach at Willamette when I, we were juniors. Chaz Lomax's first year, and he's like my big brother since. But that was like the first mentor in a leadership position that was any color besides my dad, obviously for me as well. I've like, never had a great relationship with any coach that's ever coached me or any of my professional bosses. Like mm. just, I just never had a great relationship. Like any, like, coach I don't know what the, any, any white coach, any coach at all, or any white coach. Well, just quite honestly, they've all been always white. Like that's yeah, just, okay. That's just a point of me, and part, and a part of it is again, I put a lot of it on myself. Is again, I don't think I'm a difficult person, but I probably was to some extent, even though sure. you know I was fairly. <laughs> fairly successful in in my athletic career and in my professional career i've always been really successful in both um but i've just never had a good relationship and it started from high school like mm-hmm. with coach lev we never had a good relationship with him uh and I, I had no idea st john was that race that's i mean that that's like maybe you trace the line yourself like i can't imagine how you can go through that in like formative age and like you know not and then have that not affect your relationship with every coach after that like that's fucking well, that's and, i didn't even draw these lines until a couple of years ago to tell mm-hmm. you the truth like that's the so I, what, what I, you guys have you brought your significant others into these convos like schwab obviously you and jill made a choice to go to the memorial like have you had these recently before i mean kelly yeah. and i obviously discussed it have discussed it since the dawn of our relationship uh but for you guys on the other side what what does that look like for you yeah i mean we've always talked about it we talked about it since the the incident that i talked about in minneapolis and it was funny i mean david you bring up a good point like we asked ourselves the same question over the last few nights like how do we we're like in a white white bubble i mean you've been around this neighborhood you know this area like what was crazy to me was with everything going on in Minneapolis on Friday night, over the last few nights, but Friday night was like, it hit all time high. Literally, it's three miles east of here. And uh, the next day I was going on a bike ride with my three-year-old son and we're down in Edina, which is like only a block away. And that's the highest household income in the whole city, right? I was going to say, that's, <laughs> you're not going to find a lot more white privilege in a diner. <laughs> you guys I mean, you should have seen it. Like, they were having their senior graduation, and, you know, you can't have grad parties right now. So they did a parade. But there were so many homes that had, like, white tents with the champagne, the beer, the, the polo shirts. And it's nothing. You're so tone deaf to what's – I mean, my God, like, really? Like, I'm not – Right yeah. or wrong, but at the at the minimum, can you postpone this or something? Whatever they voted for. We've been having conversations about like, man, this is like if this is where we live, like, how do you? So it's funny because David's like, yeah, like go play with look at the black girls over here, and we're like, oh, Isabel, she's black down the road, like yeah, let's go <laughs> you know. So we're going to like Asian grocery stores, and we're going to like Cinco de Mayo parties. And, you know, we're talking about how we get more diversity in school, but like it's crazy, like. I, I don't know if you, Chad or Jeff, you can relate, but like, we want our children to like, yeah, uh, friends with more audience, and then you're in these like white bubbles. I mean, for me, Tiffany probably drives it harder than I do. My angle naturally is more towards sports, so it's it's fairly easy. My boys both play on sports teams, and they're they're fairly diverse. 
Um, Tiffany is um, the VP of diversity and inclusion and culture at Alaska Airlines. And so she is in the, the, the shit of it right now. I mean, just dealing with all this stuff. I mean, so she preaches it hard, just, you know, trying to tell the boys, you know, how they're making Alaska Airlines and her business, their business, you know, more diverse, what that brings and perspectives that honestly, I, I don't always think of naturally, organically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know how much of it always sticks. Sometimes, you know, kids, you know, their eyes kind of glaze over and, you know, that disappoints me. And I hope, I hope that it gets ingrained, but, um, you know, it gives them a lot of different perspectives and she's quick on it too. I mean, if they even, they're watching a show and they start to show just a little bit of, you know, like stereotyping something, you know, whether it's like live PD, you know, whatever. I mean, cause they, they kind of get drawn to some of that stuff. But she'll, she'll be all over them. I mean, mm. hard. So, you know, That's, hopefully that stuff sticks around in their brains. I mean, David, you asked that question earlier about like what we sh- what we're trying to do, and I mean that's like that's the question I'm trying to wrestle with. I don't really know the answer to be honest, but I feel like what Kane and Kip talked about with what Rhonda did, and it's sort of like what Mike's doing and what Chad's doing. Like you have to like be active. I mean, you can't if you're if you're white and in a white bubble, which I think I know I am. It sounds like Mike is. I'm not sure about Chad, maybe less so because of the sports stuff, but like you have to be proactive. And for, for Rhonda, that meant something different than it probably does for us. Like we have, we do have the ability to go to like different neighborhoods, go to different parks. Like that's one of the things we do. Um, we need to do more of it. Like if it, you know, we haven't been to a protest and it pisses me off that we haven't, but the reason is because of COVID, um, which is still kind of a mess down here. And so we're like, but that's like an active, like, it, it makes me upset that we're not doing it, but that's why we're not doing it. But I think the fact that we're thinking about it and like, you know, having these conversations, I, I think that's half the battle. I worry more about people that don't see it as a problem um, because then I don't think you're, you know, if you're not having this conversation, you're thinking that it's an issue or that you can have your grad party in a diner and it's just, that's four miles over there and it's not my problem or, you know, those people are lawless or whatever. And they, they don't they don't peel back like any of the onion to see like, well, why are they acting that way? You know, why is this happening? They're, it's just that like they're like callously uninterested. It's just like incredibly frustrating to be that stupid, frankly, that you just don't give a shit enough to like bother to think about it for 10 seconds. Um, my buddy. Yep. Uh, let's take our second break and everybody refill and we'll be right back. Before we get back to the show, we want to encourage all of our listeners to seek out ways each of you can actively participate in dismantling systems of oppression and to avoid the comfort of silence. All right, we're back. Third segment. Let's switch to same general focus, but application to something that all that connected all of us growing up and even you know continues to this day, and that's sport. Uh, Kane and I obviously exist in it day to day and are entrusted with guiding young men uh, through this world. So that last segment, we talked about lack of mentorship and leadership in these discussions. Uh, Kane, John, we should probably make sure that's not us. I don't think that ever has been us, but uh, that's even more um, emphasis on the way we do, the way we coach, the way we do. Um, But I want to talk to you guys about this. Like, let's start here. Are we all in agreement that sport is supposed, what it's supposed to be? 
right? A, a haven for diversity, self-sacrifice by all of us towards a common goal. Um, and it's and I think it's held up, and if done right, can be a model for coexistence. I mean, are we all on a sim like in the? I'm not saying that's factual at all times, but that's like the the pipe dream of sport. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And do you think, think inside, inside, inside those in those walls for that team? In those walls, right? Of sport, right? Yeah. Team sport. Yeah. Well, yeah. Right. Team sport. Um, so was our team a success in diversity, or you know, what I'm going where I'm going with this. Was your in college? Italy? Yeah. Was our team a success in that, or was speak on that, or where we just well, didn't talk about it? I think considering where we grew up, I would call it a success. We had no great mentorships outside of, say, our family. And, you know, it, it was never a glaring issue amongst the team. Obviously, you know, Schwab, Jensen, and myself were in the dark on what, you know, Kip and uh, David went through. But I would call it overall a success. Uh, you know, there was, you know, we were, we were a good team. And I think that's the, the model for sports, just like you said. Other guys, don't forget Gerardo Medense. I was going to say, Big G. <laughs> Big G scored. Big That's G right. scored. <laughs> Thoughts on it? I, I think, Chad, too, I, I struggle not to call. I think it was in a lot of ways because I still think we, we all talk still. I think if it wasn't, yeah. um, you know, not necessarily like championship validation, uh, but I think in terms of long-lasting relationships, those have been able to exist in some way or shape, you know, over the years. Um, so I think on that front, I, I totally agree with you. Other guys, I think it can be. I think it can be a little bit of a slippery slope, though. Where yeah, you know, we we have sports are great for that team model, and yeah, let's let's model it, you know, and, and grow it to like the whole United States or community, whatever. But um, you know, there's part of me at the time that was like, man, I, I kind of know what Kip and David were going through, or my teammates at Chemeketa. And to be honest, I, I didn't. I mean, mm. we were in the dark and. You know, that's, I don't know, that's my fault, everyone's fault. But I think sports, sometimes you think you know what's going on with your teammates and you get this yep. false, false narrative, and you actually don't. I mm. mean, I think we do, you probably do a better job of it nowadays than we did 20 years ago playing. But, mm. I mean, I was I was in the dark, obviously, high school and even in college. Maybe I thought I knew what was going on, but I didn't. So is personally. it fair to say on a, on a certain level there was success, but the depth to that maybe wasn't? Yeah, I, I think right. so. I, maybe that's improved now. I mean, obviously not improved enough, but it's probably better than it was 20 years ago. I mean, I hope coaches do a better job of making their uh, players relate to each other instead of so superficial, you know. I mean, mm. it's yeah, like I think part of that is, it has to do with age, though. I don't know if high schoolers today are any more in-depth conversations than we were back then. You know, I mean, I, I think – that's just, I think a part of that is just with age. Mm. You know, I think yeah, I know. It, it significantly changes because I, I know there was conversations with individuals of different races in, in college. I think that's just with maturity mm. around the issues of race more so than in high school. Uh, you know, in, in high school, I think with the immaturity, again, not necessarily immaturity, it's just lack of experience and just lack of everybody in high school is just trying to fucking, I just want to fit in. Right? Mm. They just like, I want to fit in. All right. I've got a group of friends or basketball players or football players that, you know, we're all kind of cool. Let's just. Yeah. I, I think social media though has forced some of these kids maybe to grow up faster than we did. And they, these issues are more front, That's true. front and center. 
than it was. You know, mm-hmm. I, I've coached some high school basketball, and these kids talk about shit that I it blows me away. I mean, they do things that I still just shake my head in a good and bad way. I mm-hmm. mean, they're just they're unfortunately they're not kids as long as we were. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know that that innocence is gone, and that's sad in one way, but in other ways they are um, being educated to the real world maybe a little sooner. So that's good. Um, mm-hmm. Schwab, Jeffrey? Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think we were a good model for it. I don't think there was a lot of riff. Mm-hmm. I mean, to Chad's point, we probably didn't know uh, that much about backgrounds, what people were dealing with, but like, I didn't sense much riff on the team or divide. Um, yeah, I, I think that's right. I just like... I mean, was it a success in the sense that, like, we all got along and we all shared the ball and we all wanted to win? Like, yeah, absolutely. I None of us, like, I think the way Chad put it a few, you know, 30 minutes ago or whatever, like, I don't care who you are, what color you are, I just want to win. Like, I think that was kind of all of our attitude. And that's, I think that's a success. That's not, that's kind of a little bit superficial in terms of, like, is it a success that we were, like, a racial cohesive unit? because we didn't really think about race or like would it be a deeper success if we were like a little bit more cognizant and had a better understanding of it. And that's why like Kip, when I, you know, I, we talked obviously about your program and the way, and I think Dave is right about, you know, high school kids and the level of maturity versus college kids. I'm not sure that what you do is possible um, at a high school level, particularly in Montana, in a more sheltered high school. But I think that is a better model of success where like, it's not just, we're all on the same team. Like, let's go to war together because we're all on the same team. We're in New Jersey, but like, it's a little bit deeper than that. And we, I don't think we had that. Not that I just don't think we tried. Like it mm. wouldn't have even occurred to me that that was a thing mm. at the time because of the sheltered upbringing that I have. I think sometimes I wonder, I, I think I have be, maybe because I work in it, but I have a jaded, more jaded opinion of the power of sports than I probably did a decade ago. Not because I'm necessarily less willing to believe in the like the power of sport, but the people in it. And I yes. don't think there's a lot of mentorship that happens the farther up you go. And I understand that in the professional realm because you're men. You're kind of formulated to who you are, and it is a bottom line business. But I know, and Kane, you can speak to this at the big time level. I'm, and this is not to paint me as some saint because I give a shit about winning too. I like to win games. We don't do it a lot, but I really enjoy it when it happens. Um, but there is a there's a there's a there's a laziness involved because people like to say, "Oh, you know what we're all talking about." They'll unite because of the scoreboard, but it is a very superficial union. That is not purposeful or intentional from many of my colleagues. That doesn't mean it's I'm the only one by any means, but I am definitely the rarity in give a shit and purposeful planning to drive some of this. But is uh, it easier again from a basketball standpoint? Obviously, because of the number of people, less number. Yeah. I think that that's a great question for Kane because he exists in a you know with the big roster. I, I think about it from football. Like I said, like you know, I was again, I was all-conference, all-American, and I fucking never talked to my head coach ever. Like, we had zero relationship. Mm, right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I would agree with uh, – I've now started to get to the point where I really feel – I'll just put it – I'll rewind a little bit. When I was in college, I took a class called uh, The Ethics of Sports. 
and as I sat through this, this professor telling me that sports are, are really superficial and it's uh, basically the whole class was, was geared towards um, sports aren't as good as people think. Right. And I was like, what the fuck you, fuck you, man. And that's bullshit. Sports are the greatest thing on earth. They, they provide all these lessons beyond uh, the, the side or between the lines and beyond the court. And, and they're just the greatest thing ever for society. And as I've progressed in this profession and, and within this realm more, um, I've come to realize that there was a lot of good points that that professor had um, and that their sports are not the end all to uh, what society should look like and or how we should run society uh, because you do get lost if, if because the reality is when you start thinking about society and you start thinking about everyone looking towards the big dollar sign and you start looking towards, well, just worry about the scoreboard essentially. Right. Then if everyone's doing that, that's what, that's how we end up where we are essentially. Right. And so that's where, if you're not taking this profession for what I think it should be and truly can be uh, where you can be a mentor for individuals, you can teach them, things beyond the game of football, basketball, uh, volleyball, whatever it may be, uh, where they can then in turn become uh, productive citizens within whatever community. And, and I think there are people in this profession that are doing that. Um, I hope it's the majority, but I think there is a lot that uh, there's a lot lost because of the almighty dollar sign and because of the result based business that this thing really has become. It's a business. Okay. It and, creates uh, the most utopia as well. You know? There's no question. And, and to say, as I alluded to earlier, as far as the locker room is concerned, to say that everyone within a football locker room in particular um, are um, cohesive in or everyone's aware of everyone else's situation and, and very uh, sensitive to everyone's situation, that's extremely naive uh, because there are plenty of guys that are not – uh, dialed into or nor do they want to be uh, the scenario or situation that others within their locker room are, are, are dealing with. And, uh, and all they're there for are, is essentially the, the results and it's, it's a natural thing. But I think if you, if you control that culture a little bit um, as a mentor and as a coach and, and you gear that culture culture towards truly um, thinking about others and, and utilizing it for what it should be, uh, you can get to the point where these conversations are being had within the locker room as, as awkward and as, as uncomfortable as they can be. And um, I think it just, it depends on, on those that are in that mentor and, and leadership role. Do and, you guys uh, expect, sorry, Ken, go ahead. No, I was just going to finish. And, and, and hopefully we do have a, more of those than we do of the opposite where it's all about wins, notoriety, and in turn utilizing the talent within that locker room to get where you want to get to. Uh, asking you four guys, I Kane and I are lucky. We've spent our majority of our life existing every day in a locker room, you know, even as coaches. Do you guys expect transformation or transformational experiences from your workplace? Mm. How do you how do you see this playing out? And Chad, you're going to work, right? Schwab, you're still going to work every day, right? How do you see working. this playing out? Oh, working from home. How is this going to play out in the professional sphere? You know, David, I mean, I want you to share, too, you're, you know, the big parent Orange Theory. Fuck this up. 
You know, and so how, what do you guys expect from your workplace? It's a little easier for Kane and I to expect and drive because we're in the business of creating critical thinking, right? But what, what do you expect from your day to day? Well, we, um, I mean, we just, we've got our firm is like 25 people and there's, I'm a partner with four other people. So we have a call every week to talk about lots of stuff. But lately we've been talking a lot about this. We'd already focused on DNI, diversity and inclusiveness being like a key thing we wanted to do a year and a half ago. And that's more than just like a racial thing. It is yeah. race, but it's not just race. It's, there's a lot of elements of DNI. And it's just that Tiffany probably know many times more than I do about this. But um, the, the, the George Floyd situation is definitely putting uh, a finer point to all of it. And we're trying to. Um, I mean, right now we're trying to support our staff and we're trying to create, and it's hard because we're, we're remote work as well. So like, you know, we're dealing in a time, we're all economists. Like we know the economy is is you know, one out of five people's unemployed right now. Uh, we're living in a pandemic and, you know, we're in like a pivotal point in our democracy that we haven't seen in at least 50 years. And all of that's happening like literally at the same time and none of it was happening two months ago. <laughs> like. That's a lot of extreme, severe change all at once on uh, our employees who are many of whom are in their 20s. Mm. Um, and so like and they're all remote. So we're trying to think about like what they're going through and how to support them. And But we also we want to create space for having conversations. We don't want it to be like and here the partners are going to tell you how to think mm. like there are going to be people who have difference of opinions on not so much like, you know, the systemic bias. Like I think our people generally agree with that, but like within that, like there are differences of opinion, I'm sure about like, you know, what the next step should be, like how should we feel about rioters, stuff like that. I mean, there's, there's like legitimate, I think differences of opinion there. And I don't want to tell someone how to think, but I also want to have them have the space to have those conversations. It's hard. I, it, I don't really have an answer other than, um, you can't be blind to it as a company. You can't just say like, we're a business and that's not what we do. Like, we're not going to take a position. You have to, there are certain things that you just have to sort of stand up for. Um, I'm actually kind of curious, Dick, I don't know what Orange Theory did or didn't do. Um, and I'm curious, I know like Peloton, I don't know if they're a direct competitor, but obviously they have, you know, home bikes and stuff and they had a big, statement about it and gave some money and stuff what if what has orange theory done yeah i was talking with with kip about this the other day so orange theory they, they had sent out a thing to all the franchise owners basically saying like because we're all franchises so we can post whatever the fuck we yeah. want your yeah. your individual owner yeah but they sent out a statement out to all of the owners saying you know, hold off on making any type of statements. We're going to create, we're going to do our own statement first. And then you can, you know, do your statement after that. So I said, all right, cool. Like, so they put out a statement and it was, it was one of those statements that was just a statement that didn't, a lot of words that didn't say anything. No, right? yeah. it, didn't, it didn't mention Black Lives Matter. It didn't mention any of the individuals in terms of Ahmaud Arbery or George Floyd or Breonna Taylor, it didn't mention police brutality. 
it basically was one of those. I, I related it to the NFL when they locked arms. It was just bullshit. Mm. Yeah. Fluff. So they got fucking killed. Their their the comment section was they just got demolished, right? So I immediately put out my own statement, you know, because we have we run our own social media pages for our own studio and uh you know I basically stated black lives matter you know and orange and i and i made it a point to say orange theory fitness warner robbins that's my studio is specifically against police brutality and i listed all of that out and i listed it you know and i made sure to put in exactly what i'm doing as far as art my studio in terms of making donations toward the families of brianna taylor and on arbery you know and put all this in, in so that's what I did, you know, and, and, uh, but it was, but then Orange Theory, I will give them credit, the corporate office, they came back, you know, after all their feedback and they apologized. They said, Hey, we listened to you guys. We basically fucked up and they, they reissued a, a statement, but they acknowledged like, Hey, we missed the mark like that. And they, you know, and they're, and they're taking steps. We'll see if it's, it's true or not, but. You know, I, I, I at least acknowledge that they didn't try to double down on their, their bullshit. So Schwab, Chad, your your workplace expectations for it? Yeah. You know, I've already had to, to deal with some of it. You know, I've been hiring and firing for quite a while now and it used to be up till maybe ten years ago, a little bit like sports. I was I didn't really care about the background so much. I wanted the best uh, applicant. I didn't really, you know. Lately probably thanks to my wife, I've really started to take that uh, different backgrounds a little bit more into account. And so we have a pretty diverse group from a minority point of view. We're a little, well, from an ethnicity point of view, but we are pretty weak on the, on the sex side. We're, mm. we're techie. So we're, we're pretty male dominated and that's a problem that I've been trying to work on. But anyway, I had, I've seen both sides where I literally had someone come up about, yeah, Monday, and he was at the pro. He went to the protest. He's a white guy, white engineer. Went to the protest. He's very, um, very liberal, Seattle, you know. But he came to me and said, "Listen, I, I'm a little concerned that you're going to promote, you know, his fellow employee because he's black, and I'm going to be looked over." And so mm. I'm already getting both sides. Like, wow, okay. My first thought was like, oh, well, welcome to their world. You know, mm. that was my very first thought. Like, how, yeah. how could you? But there was also part of me because I know him. Well, at least I thought I did. I was like, oh, I mean, here's a guy I went to the protest. He seems very passionate about it, but yet he's coming to me going like, dude, I'm worried I'm going to be overlooked, and you're just going to promote someone and give, you know, because he's he's black. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm worried about my family. So it, you do get pulled in a lot of directions, and now I start kind of wondering like how we go as a company and how we move forward yeah. without, you know, you know, making sure we're you know, fair, yeah. but take all these things into consideration. How do you vet that decision? I appreciate you sharing. That's heavy. How do you vet that? Is that sitting it down with a wife? Is that people like people in the industry? Yeah. You know, I, I'm trying to fire it off as many different individuals as I can, because, you know, I, I feel I have to give everyone a, a, a fair shake, but at the same time, I, I do want to, make sure that that minority voice is heard and has that opportunity and they have i mean he's he's very he, he kicks ass at what he does like i mean he he deserves everything he gets 
but I, I do have to make sure my almost reverse prejudice doesn't like, well, I'm just going to give them something because I almost, uh, you know, feel bad for them. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and then I, I do something that puts someone else at a disadvantage, you know, um, because right now we are very sensitive to that. So, you know, when someone's coming up and kind of calling me out, that, that does make me think, but, um, I don't, unfortunately, I don't know the answer. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I mean, luckily I probably don't have to deal with it for a few months until, you know, raises come around, but, Mm -hmm. and promotions, but we'll have to see. I'm not sure what the answer is. We, um, for what it's worth, we, I I think you have to focus on process um, rather than the outcome. Like I think make the process as transparent and fair as possible and think about whether your process has systemic bias in it like i know from our standpoint we hire a lot of economists well i don't know if you all knew but like there's a lot of white people that are economists (laughs) and that's just reality and so and you know what else like every firm like ours has that issue and so you know it can be quite hard and competitive to find uh minority economists who you know are interested in working for us and want to do the work and there's just it's just a numbers game like there's fewer it's harder um so we are very concerned not so much about like hitting quotas that's not the right we're trying to like make sure that we're recruiting we're, are we casting our net in a broad place like are we going to schools like are, are we just going to carlton college and Duke, where I went to school, and like the other schools where our people went to school, because if you are, then that's who you're going to get. You're going to get people like you. Um, or are you actively trying to cast your net, you know, specifically like my boss, you know, why doesn't he go and talk to the president of Howard University and talk to their econ department? Because I'm sure they got people um, that we would love to interview. Does that mean that we're definitely going to, we were going to hire three people from Howard this year? No, but I would love to see some people applying and I'd love to see their resumes and I'd love, and then we try to like, you know, blind out the names and stuff because there's all kinds of research that shows that people with, you know, different sounding names, non-Caucasian names get, you know, not blacklisted, but just people look at it. Again, it's not explicit. It's not like you're looking at a resume with a, an African-American sounding name or an Asian name or whatever and, and like coloring it, it's just, it's, it's, it's automatic. It's part of like, that's what systemic bias is. Um, so we're trying to be aware of it and remove, and so that we're fixing our process as best as we can. Because if you don't, if you can't fall back on a process, then I think you get stuck in exactly the situation Chad you're talking about. We're like, well, am I being like too hard? Am I not being hard enough? How do I, it's not. I think that guy that came to you, Chad, Jeff, I, I love the system, the process stuff. I love that. I think the guy that came to you is a convenient ally. He's all in while it's convenient for him. And suddenly yeah, when dude, it's... I was about to say the same thing. Yeah. yeah like, that's that, that, that's me, the problem. Like, he's a bigger falls issue. In the, falls in the covert. Yes. Like, that it, yeah. It's just, it, it's hidden, right? Yeah. He's it, convenient. To even bring that up, right? To, to say that to you, that that blows my fucking mind. You want to right. talk about white privilege? To, yep. to say oh, that totally. out loud. Yeah. Who imagine like, an African American having that conversation? Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. But I appreciate yeah. you sharing that, Chad. That's because that happened. No, and when you're in a position of hiring power, I, you're yeah, you're going to be fucking swamped with bullshit constantly. Well, especially now with the job market the way it is, it's like you don't even have to cast a net because. You know, people are a little more desperate for jobs. There's a lot of good talent out there. Yeah. You know, and and uh, I feel 
you know, we have a good process in place and I do try and take their background into it, whether it's their name or whatever, because I do personally value mm. the, that those different viewpoints can bring. I mean, it makes our company much stronger where maybe before I, I did not, you know, years ago, I did not do that. I, I was just, Hey, I, well, I, I always said you married out of your league. You know, Tiffany just oh, keeps pro- proving me right. Yeah. I guess yeah. <laughs> Tiffany is a, a, a very good consultant for any kind of DNI stuff. Schwab, what about in the marketing industry? Like for you, what, what are you, I've been to your workplace, man. There's not a more 21st century place on earth, but are the content, the human beings in there matching that? Yeah, yeah. So to kind of uh, build on what Kane said, like our entire company is based on culture. You know, that's our competitive advantage. It's very, it's, uh, probably opposite of what you do, Chad. It's all about creative, the creative process. Um, you know, I know we're, it sounds crazy, but in a lot of ways we're responsible for the bias in, in the world. Mm. So we're in this thing, you know, you earlier today, like it's a lot of what you see on TV, you see in the movies, you throw advertising in that too. Right. So yeah. who are the ones behind, like, who are you going to cast in that spot? Who are you going to, is that an, uh, you can put an African-American there? Is that a Hispanic? Is that a multi, you know, cultural? Is that a diverse family? Um, you don't really as realize it, but subconsciously, we're, when you start seeing this stuff, we're, we're like constantly hitting you with what's right and what's wrong, uh, biases, so to speak. Yeah. And we've recognized years ago that like this particular market, Minneapolis, Minnesota, is as white as it could be. I mean, Jeff and I talked about that with the Mayak. You know? And um, we've actually started, we've created the brand lab, which is, uh, it's for high school kids and taking kids that might be interested someday in a creative route, road or uh, advertising, marketing, uh, bringing them in through the summer, giving them internships and then following them throughout their career. We also have a college program because you can't just expect that one day you're going to let's put a job opening out there and I'm sure we're going to get a ton of diverse applicants like that. That doesn't happen. So for us, it's, it's probably no different than what you and Kane do in a lot of ways of recruiting. Like who do you want to recruit two, three, four years from now to work at your company? Cause we recognize that like, uh, you know, we have inclusion councils. We do a really good job. Uh, or we try to anyways, as a company recognizing, LGBTQ, Hispanic, you know, African-American, everything across the board. But it's hard because we don't have the market and we don't have an industry where, where there's a lot of people of color that are interested in, in, in that. So we've had to mm. go down to the high school level mm. uh, to try to, like, recruit that. Yeah. So, and, you know, like to David's point, Orange Theory, we're the people they ask what we should put on the social media. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Like, I'm not telling you. So this week alone, like, Land Lakes. 3M, a uh, number of brands at 3M, all the way down to a fishing brand. I've been in conversations about, oh, it's Blackout Tuesday. What do we do? Yeah. You know, uh, I don't think people, it's crazy. We're like the people behind the scene yeah. um, providing counsel on some stuff like that. Uh, but it's crazy, right? They ask, that's they interesting. ask the individuals. They don't, they don't ask. Black yeah, they don't ask the people. So uh, that's what I was getting. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it's it's exactly like, oh, well, Schwab. They call up Schwab. <laughs> no, I got this guy named Schwab. You dial it up for us. Hey, right. Last one. Last one, and then I'll... I mean, like, they're exactly it, David. I was having a conversation with our CEO today, and she was like, oh, "I, we really don't know what to say or do at this time, but um, we do a really nice job of. We're probably twenty percent." 
of diversity within our work culture. We're about a little over 200 people. Uh, we've done a nice job of putting them in charge of like all things, you know, inclusion and what do we do at this time? It was interesting to see we raised $24,000 just in the last week uh, for the city of Minneapolis. So people like they have a heart, they want to do the right thing. Yeah. Um, half sure. our organization took two days off to go help clean up. Mm-hmm. And, um, so we, they do a lot and the, the people care, but it's just, Hard. People don't know what, what to do or what to say. Last topic, and then I'll, I'll get you guys out of here because I know you East Coast guys, it's getting late. Uh, I, this one David and I talked about the other day. I think, Kane, you were on the text thread. You might have been David and I on the phone. I do wonder about corporations and universities, in education institutions, when they bl- – I think people are still scared of addressing black. I think they love the cover – of diversity and inclusion. Not that I am, I am in pro-diversity, pro-inclusion all the way through. I'm a person of color, but I am not black. And I know at my institution, there's been a lot of discussion of, we love the safety net of saying diversity, but we will not deep dive and focus on African-American experience at our place. That is still hard for us. But if we address all the others, we can avoid talking about it. Um, so I'm interested in your takes or your experiences because I, we, you guys especially exist in that corporate culture and that corporate language. Um, I, I, myself, I spoke at the NCA Institute for diversity and inclusion, and it was a, it was a lot of black people there and we step kept the umbrella of that. So goods, bads, pros, cons, you think I'm off? What do, what do you think? No, I, I actually think they're different. I mean, they're, they're different. They're not one and the same. Mm. I mean, my company's not big enough to to really warrant a, a difference, but hmm. you know, you and David and Kane or whatever, you, you know, you'd be smart to actually bring my wife in on this. I mean, yeah. twenty three thousand employees in right. the airline, and they do break it up and they do separate it out for African Americans, whether it's pilots, or, you know, every line of work. I mean, you name it, but it's tricky. It's still a slippery slope, um, you know. I think that I think it terrifies. I'm not saying Tiffany, but I think it terrifies people more than other forms of diversity. It does. Like you can look at it even in the Democratic uh, presidential nominees, right? So you look at like I'm a big fan of Kamala Harris, but where she didn't get the traction and support even from the black community is because she wouldn't separate POC versus just with the black agenda. Yeah. Right. The, and, and nobody will specifically speak to a black agenda versus people or minorities right. or people of color. And, and it's extremely different, even though I think historically, when you look at the American society, like minorities have all been, again, treated, again, not equal, right, with, with whites across the history of but there's there's no other race that has been enslaved in this country except black, right? It, it, it's just different. Yeah. The experience and, uh, you know, even in the workplace, I think you're right. I think a lot of companies, I don't even think I know the majority of companies hide. And it even sounds bad to say hide because I think they're, they're – there's a place for it too, and it needs to be addressed as well in terms of all minorities. But I think they hide behind just minorities instead of the black, right? Because mm-hmm. again, when you say black or African American, that hits different for our, your individuals that are the super racist, 
maybe mm-hmm. like that that like they can they can maybe stand certain minority groups but if it comes to just black mm-hmm. that's, you're going too far you're too radical right um I think sometimes, though, for, like, you know, a white person, that that's, we, we almost don't know what to say. Someone on Twitter got torn apart. Oh, I think it was Ellen the other day. She said people of color, uh, yeah, people of color, and she didn't really, you know, group, um, you know, the Black Lives Matter, and she, she made it too broad, and she got torn apart, and there was part of me that was like, dang, you know, I thought she was saying a good thing, trying to be, you know, um, supportive of all that stuff, and she kind of got ripped, Um and so there is part of it is like, man, I don't even know sometimes what to say. Like, I, I feel like I'm saying the right thing and I'm obviously, I may not be, you know, cause I'm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's hard. And I think that's knowing the room you're in, right. Or the climate you're in, like yeah. right now, the climate is about the African-American community. So using the term, uh, people of color, just, it doesn't fly right now. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it, you know, right now with what happened, it's, it, it's, we're discussing the black experience in, in, in African Americans, right? I think at different points in time, the the people of color or the PLC, you know, and that became a buzzword what a couple of years ago, right? People yeah. color, cause before that, it, it was it didn't even exist. But right, that was kind of just all inclusive. Uh, so I think it, it, it's almost a timely phrase, right? That you got to use it. Yeah. What is, uh, I, I said it was the last one, but I got one more. On the Ellen thing chat, Drew Brees, recently. What is, yeah. what yeah. is. Yeah. Well, no, no, let me just speak on that again. Yeah. That's good when you're talking about sports, right? Yep. Let me just talk about sports, locker room. There, there's a prime example of that. Yep. Uh, of the, the shallowness in the lack of actually, truly getting to know one another within the locker room. Yeah. There, there's a prime example of the, the myth that the locker room is this all-encompassing, everybody gets along, loves each other, and, and we're all this, we sing kumbaya after every game, and, and we're all in this thing together. Uh, that's absolute, that's a, that's a, that's a myth. There are, there are locker rooms that their culture is better, and in turn, uh, that, that you, you see the results on, on Saturdays, Sundays, whatever it may be, Friday nights, whatever it may be, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're having the in-depth conversations that in turn will help uh, mm-hmm. better society as everyone from that locker room moves forward. And, no, but that, dude, I chest bumped is, you after you scored. Is, we had a chest a bump. We chest What's bumped. That? You scored a touchdown and I chest bumped you. We're yeah, tight, man. We, We're bros. Exactly. 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 I think, I think that is, that is it. There is a, it's a football and other sports are so different though. Cause like football with the amount of people on your roster, like outside of your position group for the most part, like you don't know what the fuck those other people are doing. You don't really hang out with them that much. Like let's just call it what it is. Am I right, Kenny? Like there's a hundred percent. That's exactly right. A hundred percent, man. And that's where, again, it comes, it falls on us as coaches within this realm of football. And I think, uh, you know, I'm fortunate that I work with for a man that that does a tremendous job of this and, and I'm learning every day from him. Uh, as far as trying to make sure that we do we do crossbreed as much as we possibly can in order for our, our guys to truly um, actually have these conversations and get out of their comfort zone, get comfortable with being uncomfortable as much as they possibly can. And, and in turn, uh, you're not just, this isn't a surface fluff situation. You actually are getting in-depth 
with your teammates. And well, I think uh, that's one of the big keys you kind of hit is you almost have to make the white people uncomfortable because we yes. will never understand what you go through on a daily, weekly basis. Even if you made us watch it in a movie, read it in a book, <laughs> we just it just is hard for us to grasp sometimes. And, and that sucks. And, and I feel guilty about that. And, and I think a, a coach that I coached with a couple of years ago put it he put it very bluntly. He said, uh, "I'm sorry, but none of you here will be black. You you aren't black." Right. And he's speaking to us as a staff. He said, "There, you so you're not going to be able to step in my shoes or walk in my shoes. You're not going to feel that. You're never going to feel that. That just is what it is. That's the truth and the reality of it. But if you can somehow empathize." And you can somehow find a way to to view the world from a different perspective for just a second. You're never going to truly know what it is to to well, go through what I go through. And that's what I think is important is somehow, you know, these the, the white people especially have to put themselves in that uncomfortable situation. And, mm-hmm. and it still might not be enough, but it might give them a, just a small taste of what, you know, black people go through or minorities a little bit go through, you know, almost every day. Um mm-hmm. So where do we, guys, in this, it's a great conversation, where do we take a Drew Brees who fucking was the worst yesterday? What is the ability, what is the capacity for change we allow people? Because he's canceled, mm-hmm. right? Drew Brees is fucking canceled. No, he, he apologized. He's not canceled. He's not canceled he, he yet? Out, you don't believe? Like, he put out an apology, man. So not, I'm not saying with the MAGAs, David. I know the MAGAs championed his comment. But I'm saying... When do you... You know, uh, okay, so yeah. here's the thing. Like, I want everybody to, to really understand. Black culture and black people are the most forgiving people in the world. We just yeah. are. <laughs> we just are. We forgive and we will welcome back. We will give multiple chances. And you've already seen it with Drew Brees. His teammates, the majority of them, have already posted and, and talked about they forgive him. They know his heart. Like, that. we're just... That's just who we who we are and how we are so he's not canceled at all like again will they will they always hold something they'll it'll never be the same like Mm -hmm. they're gonna always look at him sideways but they'll they'll accept him back right and as soon as he starts throwing touchdowns like it exactly (laughs) i I know i i agree with that and that that to me that that's where the problem is with sports that's the problem. Not, and it may, maybe it goes beyond sports, but that's the problem. Where as soon as okay, now he's he's out there doing his thing, throwing touchdowns, we're gonna forget everything else that he's done. And I take I take a couple steps back because Drew Brees made a dumbass fucking statement, a very shallow statement yesterday. Um, and I'm sure he'll point. All his supporters will point to everything else that he's done. That is the good part of him, right? So he's got, a, I'm sure, a laundry list of things that he'll point to of all the things that he has done in his community. But take Drew Brees out of the occasion. Just say so-and-so, whoever it was, has uh, put himself in a position where he has done some stupid shit, said some stupid shit. Uh, and at what point do we continue to hold that person accountable for the, all of that regardless of what he may be doing on whatever given sport field, business field, whatever it is, when do we really start holding people accountable? Well, and and David said it, you know, where, you know, black people are forgiving by nature, but down deep, do you guys think he can change? Like, yeah, that's, I think that's what I'm trying to get at is what does he have to do to show it's genuine? 
Because I yeah, think I mean, we're all, I'm very suspicious of the statement today. Right. But is there a way oh, back? A yeah. Is there a way back for him? Because isn't that what we're trying to accomplish is a change in humans? But here's the thing, like, okay, so what he said, let, 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 let's be real about what he said. What he said yesterday is no different than what he said four years ago. There's no question. Right? When, I, I agree. Yeah. It's the same thing. So what, what has changed? The only thing that has changed is America has changed a little right, bit. Right, right. That's what's changed a little bit. Like our perception, the perception four years ago, and, and Kip, like we've had a million conversations around this three, four years ago when, when, when Kaepernick yeah. mm-hmm. protested and, and our thoughts and our feelings about it and how at that time he was just a pariah, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, and, and we were both of the same, like, standpoint we are now are like, are you fucking kidding me? Right. Like, America has changed, I think, with what's happened over this last few months here in America, right? And they're starting to wake up and see, like, maybe he was, he was on to something, right? What he was talking about, what he was really posting, mm-hmm. protesting for. Because Drew, B, Drew Brees' stance didn't change from 2016 to 2020. It was he. It, if you break it down, he almost said the exact same thing word for word. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, so, so the America changed a little bit. And to your point, well, can Drew Brees change? Like, no. His, his viewpoint is it's ingrained right at this point. Like, I think. I think you get to a certain standpoint where you're just locked in with who you are and what you believe in. Like, you think something's going to change his mind? He's a multi-millionaire, Super Bowl-winning quarterback that's going to be a Hall of Fame. You think yeah. something's really going to change his mind? So does like, that mean we should – no, I, I think you're right. Should we focus Schwab on all the young people then because they're not set in stone? And Schwab, I mean by the marketing. I mean, do we have to unleash you then and not target 40 to 50-year-olds, which unfortunately all of us are except for David. No, you're 40 yeah. now, yeah? I am I 40. I, I just think it takes a lot. It takes a firsthand experience to change somebody old in their age. Yeah. The influence you can have on someone. It has young. to happen to you, right? Ah, uh, okay. You. Okay. Like, okay. Unless you experience it yourself, you're set in your ways. We see it all the time. I mean, look at your, your, your parents, your grandparents. Yeah. The more old they are, the more stubborn they are, the more stuck their ways right yeah so does that lead us all to i don't need to assault that guy on facebook we were texting about kane because he's 60 but i do need to challenge the 20 year old well if drew Brees had it becomes a victim or someone he loves becomes a victim of police brutality i think his stance may change Mm. that's just the reality gotcha yeah if if he's with one of his teammates uh, like Schwab and Kip and David were in that uh, scenario, and Drew Brees is in that same scenario with Michael Thomas, his his pride and joy receiver, and, and something goes down, then, then maybe that that his eyes would be wide open. But uh, I don't know, man. I, I'm with you, David, as far as the certain people. But if if and I'm an optimist uh, by nature, so I'm not. <laughs> I, and I don't. And I'm trying to be. That's why I'm asking the question because I hate I'm humanity. Is, what I'm getting at in that regard is. And I guess Kip, you alluded to with the question as far as then do we only target the young? Right. How did how in how in essence then what are we doing then? What what are we doing right now? What 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 is the point this whole point then? If if nothing can change, if we can't change anybody's point of view, then do we just go about our business and not not give a shit essentially? Maybe we can't change their inner self, but we can change how they act. Like you are forced to enact this policy, even though deep down you might still be a bigot. 
but you are forced to enact this policy. Mm. Yeah, that's kind of what happened with uh, with gay marriage a little bit. Okay. I, I, I don't think it's quite the same thing, but like gay marriage is one of those things. I mean, remember, like Barack Obama was not pro-gay marriage when he became president. He mm -hmm. was like, you know, and, and even that, like people that were Christian or whatever, were not comfortable with him sort of uh, with the civil union stuff. And then it's like over like a four, five, six year period. I mean, like 30% of the country just moved. Mm -hmm. And it was like really quick. Like most of the time, you know, cultural changes like that take a lot longer. And with gay marriage, it just flipped. And I don't really well, know. Why do you think was. that happened? But well, I, I think, think it was a, part I of that know. is people started to realize people they love were gay. Mm. Like, I, you know, I, I think it, it has to hit you mm. in some manner. Yes. Right? Because if you think about it, look, just look at the population. There's a huge population that is gay. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's just what it is. I think that's right. And that's why I think the point I made earlier about like the cell phone videos and stuff, like you're more people are being exposed to this. It's not in a firsthand way. It's not the way Bob was exposed, but it is those secondhand social media exposures when they're over and over and over. Yeah. I mean, it does have an effect. And I, I don't want to compare this to gay marriage because I don't know how this is going to end. And I don't know if we're actually going to get change or if we're just going to have a bunch of social unrest and then everybody yeah. you know kind of goes home i i don't know where this is going to go but i that's if you want to be optimistic like it does seem different schwab what would this data do for you writing a campaign what would this data would, would you focus I mean, you guys i don't know you guys said it in text i don't know if you guys watched what obama had to say yesterday yeah. the biggest change that's ever happened i'm not saying i mean you, everybody at any age can change don't get me wrong but if i was if you were you were paying me to like how do we create change it's with young people and yeah. you see them over time whether that's global warming concert you know whether it's green whether it's lgbq mm -hmm. whatever you whatever you know case you want to talk about like it stemmed from young people taking action and protesting i'm not saying you can't other people can't enforce change too but usually mm. um, yeah which brings us circularly back to sports because you coaches impact young people yeah exactly exactly we need, I think we need more coaches doing the sorts of things that your teams are doing. Mm. And unfortunately, I, I think Kane, you know, his points about that's not, not really where the incentives lie. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that if you do, you know, if you're in a position where you don't have to win 20 games every right. year. Oh, for sure. Security in part right. because they value the other things. Yeah, but that wouldn't exist. I'd have been fired a long time ago at a yeah, revenue school. It sucks, but that's the exception, not the rule. Yeah. Guys, I like to lose games. I like to lose games. <laughs> yep. Uh, that's um, teaching lessons in itself. Yeah. Unfortunately, with sports, we're still missing a good chunk of the youth population because not not even close oh, to everyone plays sports. So yeah. It's like, how do you get the ones that aren't in a team sport? Right. How do you get into schools? How do you yeah. feed your message with teachers? Mm -hmm. um, and fuck, man. And that's a big point right there, man. It, it, the education side of things, regardless of uh, sports. I mean, everyone hit it on here when we talked about missing mentors throughout high school. Uh, it wasn't just within the sports realm. There was no teacher, uh, minus obviously like we talked about my dad in the PE and health department, if you took PE and health, and now they're, they don't even have to take fucking PE and health. Um, but there was no teacher within that building that was going to go out of their way to discuss major topics as far as uh, what we're talking about today, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I mean yeah. – that's you right. can name as you talk about history and you're going through the history course, but shit, man, you're, you're not getting taught uh, the true history of America when, when you're going through everyday 
education courses. And so uh, it still comes back to that when it's all said and done. Uh, sports is just a, a branch off of education when it's all said and done. Yeah. And until we, we really uh, address that issue and start getting people in those positions that are representative of the people that they're teaching, uh, that are um, – we're, we're losing out. We're losing the game early on, as we all alluded to. If the, the young generation is truly the generation that's going to change shit, uh, then we potentially, yes, it, it seems like the, the momentum is going in the right way right now, uh, but it's just a hashtag trend right now. And, and, and hopefully this thing doesn't just continue along that course. And uh, that's where I think we have to find change is it, it has to start at the, the local level within your, your local education system, within your local uh, uh, police chief, uh, police chief, city uh, council, within your local DA, within your law. Lo- I mean, there's the, so uh, shit, man. And they they, they start the voting. Yep. Because that's, that's how those decisions are made. The, yeah, it's funny you talk, go ahead, Swap. What do you think about uh, lowering the age to 16 or even like how low should we go for voting? Mm. Interesting. You can lower it. I mean, the voting age, the people that percentage of people that vote between 18 and 25, like if they just turned out, you can have a change right now. I mean, the reason well, we have is because old people like to vote. The biggest thing <laughs> with the voting issue is just making a national holiday. Yeah. If you right. make a national yeah. holiday, yeah. That, that that would solve it. I don't. I, on the that's David. I love that the NABC, the the Basketball Association for Coaches, finally did something worthy of more than a bullet point on an email. They said they're putting forth an initiative that there's no games, no practice on Election Day. Now, will people follow that when they got to win Wednesday? Probably not. But at least it was like an idea rooted in maybe helping. Okay. Uh, it, it all goes back to like if you if you look at like you know we brought up I think Jensen brought up systemic racism and, and, and oppression like it all kind of flows back to this like it, if if we really wanted to create a democracy in the U.S. and we wanted to have the people really decide who holds the power and all of this and that. I mean, we can get into all kinds of different discussions, right? This thing could go on like for 20 hours if we really (laughs) wanted to, right? But why wouldn't you want every single American to place their vote, right? Right. Like there's a reason why it was set up. Everything has been set up for a reason from day one, right? It's just the way it is. Yeah, the system's not broken. It's working fine. We're just aware of its fucking problems. It's working for the people that it wants to work for. Yeah. They want it to work for, essentially. Yes. And I think the problem is, like, and again, I think some of the messaging gets out there, I think even from the black community, when we talk about that, it is a broken system. It's not. Like, it's the reality of it's set up the way it's supposed to be set up. And I think the problem exists and lies in when we get, again, not having white allies that will that will recognize and will just come to that conclusion that you know what you're right right and, and nothing will change like all of this that's happening again it feels different i agree with you jensen but it's not going to change until people are really focused on you know what some of that shit in those laws that we wrote back in whenever <laughs> it, 
in terms of that just completely deconstructed mm-hmm. it, it, you're going to continue the same thing because you can't nothing will change you just systematically it can't yeah that's funny. You guys were talking about like the recency and the hashtag movement. I was worried because I'm going to a rally on the on Saturday, and I was like, "Fuck, we're gonna be too late. People aren't gonna give a shit. It'll be five days later. People won't give a shit." I'm hopeful that this is gonna last longer, right? But I was like, "God damn, we gotta have this shit on Wednesday, you know? Instead of Saturday, it might be too late. People are gonna be back to Netflix." Um, but hey, I appreciate you guys. We're going to stop the recording now. We can stay on, obviously, but I appreciate everybody coming on and, and being willing to share and discuss. Cross the streams. Content reminder. The opinions expressed on today's episode are those of the hosts and guests alone and should not be viewed as reflective of the opinions of the institutions or employers of the hosts and guests. 